Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 48, Gifts of Bribery, Mercy, and Revenge. I'm Scatty. We have with us Brooke and Matt, as always. Hey. Cheerio. And tonight, <laughs> we will be coming at you with John 10, Arya 13, Samuel 4, John 11, and Tyrion 11. Uh, that's chapter 73 through 77 of A Storm of Swords, according to a wiki of ice and fire. Uh, as always, we are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast. We've got a special segment then called Davos After Dark, in which at which point we'll get all spoilery and have fun with talking whatever like whatever we feel like. But until then, those of us reading along at our pace are safe of, from spoilers. Also, if you want to contact us, as always, lots of ways to reach us uh, on Facebook. You can find us there on Twitter at Davos Fingers. Uh, we are DavosFingers at gmail.com. And our lovely Tumblr site, compliments of Brooke at DavosFingers.com. And, uh... Yeah, we love hearing from you, so reach out. I don't know if you guys remember, but several episodes back, we wished a happy birthday to Beth on behalf of Polly. Well, the strange thing about birthdays is they come every year for everybody. And so Beth has asked for some revenge and wants us to wish a happy birthday to Polly as well. I think Happy we... birthday, Polly! Happy birthday, Polly. Golly, or... Polly, happy birthday. Oh, um, that's a nice <laughs> You even got a rhyme out of Brooke. That's not common. No. I think oh, Polly's yeah. hitting the ripe old age at uh, 20 this year. 20? 20. 20. All right. Yeah. So good Enjoy that one. I think last time we made a joke yeah. about Beth being 13, but Polly's older, <laughs> so I'm sure it's fine. Well, I, I felt like that was a little <laughs> scary that we were wishing a happy birthday to a potential 13-year-old, so... That's not the scary part. Probably a little bit. The scary part is that a thirteen-year-old be listening to our content. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's the scary. Where part. are your parents, young lady? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, the scariest part of all this. Definitely one of our favorite sibling duos who listen to the podcast. Yes. Thank so, you. Thank you. Happy birthday. Yes. Yeah. Eat some cake. No wine yet. You can cry if you want to, though. Only if you have a party. Do you? <laughs> okay. Uh, other news. Um, so. Some personal news uh, on my side. Uh, well, it's not personal. It's about my sister again. I talk about her all the time on this podcast. I'm sure it's boring everyone, but she got what I consider to be the biggest news of her career. I don't know whether she feels that Easily. way. But Easily. To, but to me, mm-hmm. it's the biggest news of her career. Yeah, no question. She got to write Star Wars Annual 2. So for those <gasps> of you who don't know comics... Uh, most comic titles do an annual issue. They do one one of them a year, and it's uh, extra long and um, special in some way. And uh, she pitched it and got it and has written it. And nice. uh, it hits the shelves in November, so there's still some lead time for it. But I couldn't sit on it. It's just so exciting for for uh, for me being such a Star Wars fan. It's so awesome. So check that out That's if you're interested. That's really great. On, on another note, away from my sister, the Star Wars comics, from what I've read of them, I'm not fully caught up, but they're they're quite good. Um they do a good job with the universe in those comic books. So if you have a hankering to get into comics, uh, not a bad place to start. Some pretty good stuff in there. So since you have an in, how exactly does that work? So, so your sister is a comic book writer by profession. She hears that there's an opportunity for this annual coming out. And you said that she pitched it. Like, how does she do that? Does she just, like, write a couple pages? Or how does that work? And then a, a script or a... Yeah, I've, ta- I've talked to her a few times about this. Uh, basically, yeah, people put out, if, if it's not an ongoing book with an ongoing author that they've already got all set, and, and even in those cases, it's frequently done in like uh, batches, like in storyline uh, kind of uh, groupings of like six or eight or something right. like that. 
So they'll they'll have they'll actually submit out into the ether. I'm sure the writers know where that is. I have no idea, but some place where they go, where submissions are available, and uh, you submit uh, your and and the submissions I think will ask for different things, and uh, you provide what they ask for, and if they like it, then they can either ask for more information or give it to you. I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Um, we have some mm. comic book creators that listen to this show, uh, Tana being one. I'm sure she can tell us a little bit Tana, more if, if, uh, if I'm biffing this big time. But from what I've talked to uh, to Kelly, it's it's roughly that. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, the, she, the she ether submits... that you speak of yeah, is right. actually a, a hollowed-out stump in the woods. Yeah, you have <laughs> Comic book writers go out and they place their... Uh, part of it is you have to know where the stump is. Yeah. And that's kind of like it's the like invitation a to submit you your a, manuscript. You have yeah. a certain knock, and if you knock incorrectly, then the little wooden panel doesn't slide open and hand you a list of submission opportunities. Yeah, it's it's a little speakeasy kind of thing. <laughs> right. I was imagining a, a dark alley, and all the comic book characters are just, like, perched above. <laughs> like Spider-Man, Batman, they're all kind of, like, jostling for position. I choose you. <laughs> yeah, from what I understand, that's, that's kind of how it works, but... Um, I'm sure it's a little more complicated than that. But, I mean, she pitches all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, she's uh, she's reasonably well-known now, and so it's it's getting a little easier for her to pitch and you know, right. be seen. Yeah, but... this is only building the resume. Yeah, this is this is huge for her, I think. I mean, it's, it's Go pretty Go Kelly! Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, enough of me fellating my sister. Um, yeah, so... we, we have siblings, too. They accomplish stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do, yeah, do, so... Don't you want to hear about that, Skaz? When do F- me and Brooke away. get to start talking about our, our siblings? <laughs> Can we have like a sibling moment every podcast? No, listen. Sibling segment. I know this is somewhat tongue in cheek. But I warn you guys and give you the opportunity to veto any of this stuff. (laughs) If you want to. I will keep my updates to every half year on my sister. (laughs) It's tremendous. We want to hear the the news when she gets these big updates. So nerdalicious. It's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, You know, actually, I, I don't have... I don't have a ton of Star Wars memories with my sister. We're, I feel really guilty about the one I have. I have memories of we had Caravan of Courage on VHS. And I remember watching that with her on the couch back in Colorado when we were growing up. And it's I don't know if anyone even knows what that is, but it's uh, not great. But it was, it was a classic in our home uh, when we were growing up. We watched it quite a few times. So... Caravan of Courage, go Kelly. All right, other recommendations. Uh, we'll get through these, I think, pretty quick. Just we've been consuming media all over the place. Bloodline. Uh, Matt and I both read Bloodline, which is uh, a novel again in the Star Wars universe, part of their uh, their new canon, and uh, both loved it. Um, it's primarily about Leia. It's by an author named Claudia Gray, who uh, I think I talked about Lost Stars before which is another uh, Star Wars book that she wrote. This one is fantastic. Captures Leia really well. I don't know, Matt, any uh, follow-up on that? Yeah, I, I finally got the bug to start reading some of these new books. Oh, indeed. Um, <laughs> and Brooke and Scott know how how I get into things that's either all or nothing. And once I commit, I'm I'm all in for the short amount of time that I'm into it. And then my attention span gets drawn elsewhere. So but, well, uh yeah, I'm very squirrelish in in my in my interests. The fact that I've stayed this devoted to a song of ice and fire for this long has been a miracle even to me. But I've uh, I've really liked the 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 quality of authors 
for these newer books. I've I've made my way through almost four of them now in like the past month, and uh, and I've been really impressed, especially with Claudia Gray. She she's wonderfully captured the essence of of Princess Leia. Um, one thing I noticed in the old Legends books, which are still my canon, uh, is is Leia is often portrayed as like this perfect human being. Actually, her Han and Luke all are portrayed as pretty perfect, and this captures a really like sarcastic. Uh, kind of cynical side of Leia that you can always see in the films, um, and, and, but balancing it out really good with that sense of uh, courage and uh, strength that she's always had. So I thought it was really well done. But also some very human. She even curses a few in the times in the book. <laughs> she does, and even you know some very human elements of of regret or um, you know wondering what could have been if she yeah, made different sure. choices and things in this book. Some good stuff. Also. Uh, you know, tying into The Force Awakens, this book occurs between Jedi and The Force Awakens and does a pretty about good job. About six years before. Right about, right, about six years before Force Awakens. Uh, it does a pretty good job of kind of setting the stage for how the political system got to where it is in The Force Awakens. Those were some questions I had about that film, like what the First Order and the Rebellion versus the resi- or, you know the Resistance versus... You know the government that's going on. What, what, how how do these things all relate together? And this kind of it ties a lot of those ends together. So if you had that curiosity, uh, give Bloodline a read. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, the next thing we had yep. was uh, uh, Strange Things. Stranger, Stranger. Oh, Stranger Things. I'm missing a character. Stranger Things. Scott. Sorry, hey, I didn't watch it. That's oh a, this, this one. Brooke and Matt watched. And Obviously, loved. go for I it. I didn't mercilessly mock your dumb Bloodline books. Oh my god, this is such an insult. <laughs> I missed a character in my typing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Holy fuckballs. <laughs> Call it Blood Lynn, Brooke. Just to get him back. Blood Lame, more like. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I fucking hate you guys. Brooke, wax eloquent on Stranger Things, my friend. I have it clearly written here. It's Strange Things. It's clearly written in the notes. Oh, that's not right? Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I don't have anything prepared, but I have really enjoyed the series. It's sort of a throwback to 80s nostalgia films like Spielberg mm. and E.T., Goonies, that sort of thing. Mm, yeah. um, but uh, well packaged in that sort of that Netflix serving of eight or ten episodes, maybe even twelve, I can't remember. But it was a, it was, a reason, it was enough where I just like swallowed it in a weekend. <laughs> And mm-hmm. didn't didn't like go temporarily blind. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> happens when you Netflix bitch. And uh, just the acting is outstanding. Uh, characters, uh, there's about three plot lines that kind of weave through the entire story the whole, the whole time that uh, really keep you interested. The kids don't suck. A lot of times, you know, kid actors are just like, oh my gosh, go back to your trailer, delivering everything terribly, but they were very authentic and kid-like and hilarious and each had their own little personality. It was great. Uh, Winona Ryder really brought it to the table. Holy crap. All right. Who knew? Who knew she had those kind of chops, man? Oh, man. She was kind of like... really was fantastic. She's kind of like on overdrive the whole time because she was a worried mother to uh-huh. not mm-hmm. to spoil but part of the plot is her kid goes missing and uh but she did she kept it up she did a great job she wore uh, me out just watching it was impressive what did you think maddie thack i agree with everything you said i, I it's kind of this goonies meets x-files type mm. feel 
And uh, it was a lot of fun. I thought that they, you you mentioned weaving, and I thought that they did that really well, weaving kind of this, yeah, 80s nostalgia, mystery type story with kind of a, a slightly supernatural element to it. But it didn't feel science overly science fictiony mm-hmm. um it, it was i just thought it was tremendously well done eight episodes was perfect i like you mm-hmm. watched it in like a couple days my uh, <laughs> my wife and kids went up to visit my mother-in-law in idaho and i was home alone and i watched it in that time i don't know if i've told you guys but i don't do scary shows very well Mm. Uh, even like slightly scary shows, and there Those were I had to like. Bad, but I don't think you've told us. Oh no, you've told us the horror thing before. You you know, know, I, I don't. I, I don't like horror films, yeah. and uh, this isn't horror. It's moments of suspense. Yeah. Uh, but it was enough that I had to go turn on some lights in my house. Grab the, <laughs> grab the blankets. Grab the blankets. Pull them up to your neck, like the cartoons. I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I'm just like, I'm gonna reach over and switch on this lamp here. Where's yeah, my teddy? I... <laughs> uh, I, did you call your wife? <laughs> Where she like, honey? <laughs> not for that. He didn't. You on speaker. I know you're there. I'm on a vacation from you. Don't you understand? <laughs> um, I really, yeah, I like the format in that. Also, there was a lot of mystery involved, but they didn't like yeah. fist you like some shows. Like I'm thinking in particular, <laughs> Lost, where it's just they just drag you out for the entire season to give you like the most anticlimactic reveal ever, and you're just like flipping TVs and kicking holes in walls. This the show, <laughs> Stranger Things, really like it. It, it fed out the mystery generously, hmm. but enough that there was still enough like suspense and. Yeah, it allows it, it makes and... you think and allows you yeah. to start to draw conclusions while not yeah. telegraphing the ending. Yeah, yeah you're I not agree. yelling at the characters who haven't figured it out yet because everybody's sort of like a reasonable human being and is figuring it out in a reasonable amount of time. So it's great. It's not frustrating as some mysteries are. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So Scad, what what makes you not want to watch this show? No, nothing. Nothing makes me not want to. Uh, my oh. wife, my wife wants to. And so oh, when we're on House of Cards, and so I, we got to get it in our on our list and get it done. Oh. I, I have about when school starts back up, and it has. I have about an hour uh, between when the kids go to bed and when Sheltie falls asleep to fit something in. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> that didn't come out well. Usually, what we fit in now. is. You don't need an hour, buddy. Yeah, that's plenty of time. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, so yeah, we're on House of Cards at the moment, and Stranger Things is on the list. Just haven't got there yet. Bump it nice. Up. So, uh, I think that get, brings us to oh, our last... Oh, they just announced a season two. They did, just this way. week. Yeah, I saw that. Um, It'll be ten episodes rather than eight. Yeah. As long as they bring back that little Dustin kid, I will be completely <laughs> happy. That kid, so I, saw, I saw that kid. He is cute. All right, uh, last recommendation is for The Get Down. If you guys haven't checked this out and you have any passing interest in history or hip-hop, or more specifically the history of hip-hop, check it mm-hmm. out, because it's awesome. I'm not into into hip-hop, really, but this captivated me almost immediately. The first episode to me was a little bit slow, but the last half hour of it were fantastic. Uh, they are... I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but... Uh, they do a really good job of, of weaving in the culture of that time, making it feel very much uh, relevant in that time. 
uh, and and also weaving in the music, uh, which is kind of a, a transition between disco and hip hop in that time frame. And um, they had they had some brilliant con- consultants uh, on the project, which I'm sure Matt will talk about. Yeah. But uh, it feel it felt again from some, from a lay person that was nothing about it. It felt authentic, and it was fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. Loved it. I watched that was that was my binge. I think I watched seven episodes, which was something like eight. Eight or, eight or eight and a half hours and i watched it in four days i think yeah i uh i am very into hip-hop as you guys know and um especially the history of hip-hop i find it fascinating and i agree with you scott you can't tell the history of hip-hop without weaving in some of the context the cultural context of what you know some of these hip-hop pioneers were surrounded with it's yeah. integral to telling the story and uh, they did that incredibly well. And I love that it's it's still fictionalized. The characters are not real characters, uh, besides Grandmaster Flash. Right. But, the, DJ but it's still set in a historical thing. Yeah, DJ Herc is in it. They have the 520 Sedgwick Avenue, which is it, which is a, a it was a, an apartment complex or an apartment building, where it's kind of it's kind of revered as the the birthplace of hip hop. DJ Herc played um, and. And a lot of great music. My favorite rapper of all time, Nas. He wrote all of the uh, all of the lyrics for all of the raps that go on in it, and also consulted on it. Uh, so and that Grandmaster was awesome Flash to himself too consulted on the project, right? Grandmaster hmm. Flash um, and MC Shen, uh, who were all prominent hip hop artists from that area, from the East Coast. You know, there's always the East Coast West Coast hip hop rivalry, and they're all from that East Coast era. Uh, Nas a little bit later than Shannon, Grandmaster Flash, but all consulted and, and taught them, you know, how to look when they're spinning the records and just like kind of that gate that a lot of hip hop artists have and and uh, that kind of stuff. So it was cool. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So. Lots of recommendations. Bloodlines, Stranger wow. Things, The Get Down. Go check them out. Let's jump in. Uh, my episode, but Brooke, it is your chapter for John. Where we're going up north where the winter's cold And the icicles bloom like the bluest rose We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's John Snow. So John is out of his ice cell after four cramped, miserable days in the ice. Thanks go to Maester Amon, who had evidently kicked up enough of a fuss with da- Janos Slint to prevent John from being hanged. But Janos is a sneaky fella, and his crony Sir Alistair even more so, so they still want the threat of John's existence eliminated, so they free John to go and kill Mance Raider under the ruse of Parley, and John, not having too many options, goes to do that. So John meets Tormund Bearwife on his way from the wall to the wildling camp, and they have a drink and a gossip on the way to Mance's tent. There, things tense up a little as Mance takes John inside to find Dalla, Mance's queen, in advanced labor attended by her sister Val, oh, and the bloody horn of winter, eight feet long and ready to be blown, just sitting right there beside the pregnant lady who's given birth, just right there. John's like, what? what is going on? But John learns that Mance is not interested in bla- blasting down the wall with this horn. 
Mance has bigger plans than defeating the Night's Watch and raiding the gift. He wants his people safely behind the wall and away from the others, like their lives depend on it. And they do. The Giants, the Thens, the Hornfoots, the River Clans, they haven't been able to st- been able to stand against the others and now Mance's people face the same fate. So here's the deal, Mance says. Let us through the gates and behind the wall and we'll give you the horn and all its power all over the Night's Watch. Don't let us through and in three days, Tormund Giants Babe will blow it and bring down the wall and everyone dies eventually. So here's John running out of small talk to procrastinate on the choices he has. One, he could try and kill Mance like he was sent to do right there in front of his wife and three-quarters born child. He could take the offer of the horn back to Janos and Sir Alistair and be re-imprisoned as a turncloak having failed to kill Mance. Or he could just smash the horn. And I believe that he was leaning on this third option when he hears another horn sound. Boom! The wildling camp is under attack. Black brothers and mounted knights coming in from the east, cutting through unprepared free folk like baked brie. Mance tries to lead a defense, but it's utter chaos. He leaves Varamir Sixkins with his two wolves, a shadow cat, and an eagle to watch over Dalla and to keep John from running. But it isn't long before Varamir is screaming like he's being burned alive, losing control of his ground animals because the eagle, so useful for scouting and spying, is on fire in the sky, desperately trying to escape by flying higher. Val is like freaking out because Dalla is fully giving birth and all around him the camps are breaking up, free folk running for the trees, Wildling warriors standing no chance against whatever this crazy, competent, and brutal force is. John sees a ton of yellow banners with a flaming red heart, and apparently Rolor fever hasn't yet swept to the far north because he's clueless as to what that is. But he does recognize the black stag on gold, and for a moment he thinks that maybe it's King Robert. But in their negligible victory, the attackers start shouting, Stannis, 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 and John's response to this is to go inside the tent, preferring to face gaping birth rather than whatever bullshittery Stannis of all people has brought north. <laughs> the, that's the end of the chapter. Whoa! What? You didn't see that coming. Mm. No way. So, so from what we know, Stannis has like maybe like a thousand guys who can fight, right? They're coming from from East Watch, so we know that they've got whatever Black Brothers could be spared from there against thirty to 40,000 wildlings in these camps, and the wildlings just get spanked. Like, it's brutal. Yeah, Mance tries to mount a defense by, like, forming up this arrowhead of, of riders and, like, assumably the best warriors that the free folk have to offer. It lasts for like five seconds. John like watches them as they, as they ride away and the whole formation just disintegrates. It's, it's so sad and upsetting. It was, it and they was, didn't spend a lot of time drilling, did they? No, this was a bit of an emotional chapter. What did you guys think? Oh, well, it wasn't emotional uh, for me, but um, it was surprising in no small part because it, it feels it felt to me, it still feels to me upon rereads, that there's no way Stannis could have made it here in this amount of time. Which By ship, though? Eh, even by ship. I, I don't know. I mean, Sansa goes virtually half the distance, maybe even less than half the distance, 
in virtually the same amount of time. Um, well, do we know that that's how much time passed? Well, I I did a little looking. There's uh, you guys uh-huh. have seen that uh, that spreadsheet uh, that kind of mm-hmm. has the timeline and stuff. That says that he did this in 25 days. Which keep in mind that this is upon reading Davos's note means sleeping, waking up, gathering his army, loading all of his ships with his army and all goods necessary, sailing north. Uh, unloading those ships, convincing the Night's Watch what he knows and uh, and then needs to go, traveling to Castle Black, which is not a short journey. It's like 600 miles or so. I mean, it's it's long. I should have looked at that distance uh, before this, but it's a long way, and they went by fucking game trail, not like the King's Road. So, mm. yeah, 25 days is a really fast, fast frame of reference to get there. Now, that's that's not... Canon. That's based on you know the spreadsheet that this guy's. Yeah, I was gonna time. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he. Mm-hmm. he but makes... you're forgetting one thing. Uh huh. Rolor works in mysterious ways. He does. He does, and he must, because uh, that's the only way this could have happened. Uh, I also did put it in context. I, it's probably boring to everyone to talk about this stuff, but um, I put it in context of what the other characters do in this amount of time, um, and I can give some of that if you guys want. But it, it's largely inconsistent, I guess. Is what I would Let say, which is. Well, okay, so John, in roughly the same amount of chapters, uh, and again, who knows, maybe Davos' chapter happened before, like, George is very inconsistent exactly. with, with the order of exactly things going mm-hmm. in timeline, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is why I use this guy's other proposed timeline. But uh, John fights the battle on top of the wall, he fights the turtle battle, remember the one where they drop the, the frozen barrel of rocks, uh, and then he gets put in the ice cells. He's only in the ice cells for four days. The battles, I think, take, like, I don't know, a week? It doesn't seem like they're battling for that they long. They don't say. They yeah. don't say, but but you know they it's only a killed a hundred... You know they only killed a hundred guys between the first two battles. And after the second battle is when he goes to the ice cells. So, uh, it's not... It's not a lot of time. Uh, John's is the weakest, though. Arya and the Hound... Uh, go to that village and build shit for... It could be weeks, right? It could even be maybe a month. I don't know. I didn't look at that on the timeline, but uh, it could be weeks that she and the Hound are in that silly village building shit, and the Hound's getting drunk all the time. Tyrion... Tyrion, This one's pretty damning, actually. Tyrion has his trial, then his trial by battle, then his execution rescue. And I think that's all within, like, a week, week and a half. Right? And it less. Yeah, maybe even less. And Maybe. I, well, we don't really know how long he's in the cell before Jamie rescues him. I, I don't know if they tell you that ever, but it doesn't feel like it's a long time. And you, you do get the sense that Tyrion's saying that, you know, Cersei wants it happening sooner rather than later. So we, we don't really know. I don't think it tells you, but it's kind of damning. And then Sansa, the other one that I looked at is Sansa. She boards the boat in King's Landing, like right before the Davos chapter. She boards the boat, sorry, not in King's Landing, at... at uh, no, yeah, right outside of King's Landing. King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And... A few weeks pass uh, while they're waiting. I, th- I think she says, oh no, it's eight days, I think. Eight days pass when they're waiting for Lysa after they get to the Fingers. So however long it takes to get to the Fingers, plus eight days. So those are roughly what the other characters in this time frame are going through. They all feel too short to me for what Stannis has to do on this trip. But It'd be again, interesting to know, uh, as another point of reference, how long it took Catelyn and Cassell to get to King's Landing? Yeah, when they I almost looked went at that. down in Game I, of Thrones. 
I remember feeling like they said that was weeks of travel, but I could be wrong. We we need mm. to go look. Actually, I have the spreadsheet. If you guys move on, I'll look. Lyceni well, ships it, are fast. That might help. Um, it, it takes a, a month for a, you know like a big rumbling royal carriage to get from King's Lang to Winterfell. So oh, I thought it was longer. No, than it's like three months. Or something, I, isn't it? I'm almost I, positive it was, mm, it was mm-hmm. a month. Like, Cersei was complaining about being locked up for a month, or Jamie's like, I didn't get to bang my sister for like a month. Again, I, I have all this in this in this thing. If if you if you want, yeah, I've seen it. Why won't you just take my word for it? <laughs> don't you trust me? I trust you. I don't, I don't know how much our I don't know how much our readers care that or our listeners care that we go into all this. But if you're curious, I can look all this stuff up. What I felt was a little unrealistic if you know if there's like a spectrum of realism when analyzing these books was just the timing like john was literally having a discussion with mance yeah oh yeah the turning point of this battle Uh and it was like and the birth happens right in that second yeah yeah the birth it almost felt like prophetic like like maybe Maybe if John is meant for more than this had been foreseen and all of these events coming together at once mean something more than just a convenient coincidence, I guess. I'm not saying it's a happy coincidence. It's not great for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, that was... It, it makes for exciting reading, though, and it makes for an exciting climax to the book. Like, I know that there's still a couple more John chapters, and that was pretty good. Like, he could have ended it right there, and I've been like, great job, George. It was a lot of fun. Stannis, 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 Stannis. I love that John's reaction to that was just like turning oh, and going into the tent. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. Uh, a month and 18 days is uh, Robert from Winterfell, from King's Landing to Winterfell. Wow. That's with that's with super slow ass cart though. You can go a lot faster if you're not traveling with you know retainers and all that other crap. Like a like a week and a half, two weeks. I'd I'd say, yeah, maybe three 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 weeks. Yeah, you probably cut the cut the time in half. My guesstimate on Stannis would have been around a month to get from there to there. So, and they say twenty five days. Twenty five days hustling. You should be happy. Yeah, you might be able to pull it off in twenty five days if he's hustling, but it's Mm -hmm. cutting it awful close. Mm -hmm. All right, cat leaves to Winterfell. Or sorry, Cat decides to leave Winterfell six two. Cat arrives in King's Landing eight six. I still want to know how they figure out some of this stuff. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's not again. This is for everybody out there. This is not necessarily canon. This is, but somebody has spent a lot of time going through all sorts of citations and notes to try to come to right. these dates, right? So it's not like just throwing a throwing a dart, but it's also not absolutely you know George signed off on canon or anything either. Yeah. Anyway, someone was neglecting a lot of loved ones. Maybe oh, yeah. that energy could have gone toward like cancer research, or I don't know, resolving my tongue God, issue, writing their own novel, resolving that tongue issue. My God. Yeah. But we 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 reap the benefits, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Keep it up, nerds. <laughs> wow. Who are you calling <laughs> nerds? Uh, this this is I think this is the high point for Stannis so far, though, right? No talking, uh, no whining, no Stannising. Just getting it done. Just getting it yeah, done, I, right? I, just I coming to the rescue. I enjoy Stannis. I think I think I enjoy Stannis more from a distance. <laughs> 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 and he's leading an army of troops from John's perspective, mm-hmm. rather than. 
yeah. hearing him grind his teeth in front of Davos. Well, yeah, it, it feels very much like he's meant to lead an army. Whenever, whenever he's doing army stuff, he seems good. Other than, he, other than he does Tyrion's right, masterstroke, yeah. right? In the, at the, well, the he sucked it a couple times. Our, our friend, the our friend, the Beefish, uh, wrote a an essay about Stannis's abilities as a as a battlefield commander, drawing on Beefish's uh, experience in the military and, and study of history and such. And and uh, from his arguments, you know, he explained um, uh, Stannis's attack here in in very cool terms that even a layman like myself could understand about how he attacked from three sides, which essentially he gave. The uh, the wildling face. troops an avenue of escape rather than surrounding them because if he's got a thousand guys and he's surrounding <laughs> a group of thirty thousand, <laughs> you know they're going to regroup and they're going to break out. So he gives them an ad- ad- avenue of escape, which which you know increases the panic and gets them all running and trying to get away, and increases their chances for victory. Uh, so and then and then attacking at those different times rather than all at once added to the chaos and stuff and and yeah looking at it from from that perspective with him explaining it thank you beefish uh, it it was pretty enlightening as to Stannis's abilities as a commander good on him I'll I'll say one more thing John told himself a long time ago when he was originally sent on the mission uh, to you know to scout and then after after uh, killing. Corrin and becoming part of the wildlings, he said, this whole thing ends if Mance dies. The whole thing ends. And so when he's in the tent, Brooke, and you said he's considering those three options, kill Mance. Your life doesn't matter. You are a member of the Night's Watch. Kill Mance. That's your motivation. Right? I, all the quibbling bothers me. You should have just done it. Well... Spoken. Spoken like a true 2020 hindsighter. No, there. He talks about this on the way to see Mance. There's no hindsight. He's reminding himself, "Oh yeah, if I just do this, it's over." And then he doesn't do it. I, yeah, and I would say his conversation with Mance just before with Stannis came, trumpling in. Yeah, and um, you know, he asks Mance. He's like, "Listen, are you really a king?" Would you rule these people? Would you have them obey? Would you have them, you know, uh, be respectful of the laws of Westeros and all this? And I, I think at that moment, John was seeing the bigger picture in that Mance has the ability and the uh, leadership skills to to manage this entire like, thousands and thousands of literal wildlings above the wall. Maybe he can do it below the wall as well. But I, I would say that his his confidence in Mance probably like teeter tottered a little when Mance then said, "Oh no, no, I cannot rule these people. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. ask anyone to kneel. They are just going to run wild. It's going to be a shit show." <laughs> so, but but it's but going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, and kudos to Mance for just like not playing it yet. not like yeah. yeah, just like oh no, <laughs> no 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 no. But just before that, John showed real maturity in seeing in seeing a, a, a potential excellent compromise there, um, and I think that's why he wasn't like laser focused on doing his duty, saving his own ass, and uh, I don't know, being a good Night's Watch brother. It wouldn't save his. I ass. I think it also shows but... that that John just cares too. Like uh, 
he knows the others are out there. He knows winter's coming, and he he care he values human life, even if it's wildling lives. And yeah, mm-hmm. if if Mance dies, then maybe you know the wildlings scatter, but that doesn't protect them from from the others out there. In fact, it would mm-hmm. just probably expedite them all dying. And so I think some of that comes into play as well. Which, silly argument by Mance, right? He's like, wait, I really don't want to bring the wall down because it means we'll all die, but I'm going to if you don't <laughs> agree to my terms. Well, yeah, it's so literally between a wall and a hard place on that one. Like, Yeah. It's a good okay, threat. so you don't want to die, but well, Like, okay. And it's the yeah. only also, card he's got Also, who wouldn't want to see too. the wall come down? Everybody enjoys destroying a sandcastle. Can you imagine a 700-foot wall? Damn! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Like uh, like those people that get off on watching building demos. Is that a thing? Building demolition? Is, yeah. Is that your thing? Getting off watching it. I said God. people, not me. Mm, you were pretty specific. <laughs> Look, I don't need to defend myself. To you two. <laughs> I would have thought that you'd get off on seeing buildings go up. <laughs> no? It takes a long time. It's difficult for me to sustain excitement for that long. I feel you, buddy. I feel you. Uh, all right. You guys want to move on? Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, it's Arya and it's <clears throat> me. Arya. Underfoot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end. Arya. Underfoot. Horse face. Sticking with the pointy end. Ah. When there ain't nowhere to run, you go to the crossroads. And that is exactly where the hound leads Arya. So you won't be lonely! Right. Mm. And they aren't lonely. Uh, Arya recommends that they not go in because she's afraid they won't be lonely. But the hound wants news and wine. He is reckless. So sure enough, they wander in, order wine, and immediately encounter some Arya prayer all-stars. Polliver and the Tickler. And also there's a pimply-faced squire to boot. They dance with words, uh, feeling each other out, giving Polliver the requisite villain monologuing time. Uh, it's basically stuff we all know, but stuff Gregor, or sorry, Sandor and Arya do not know. Uh, Gregor's at Heron, uh, no longer at Harrenhal, uh, having tortured and ended the goat's life. Joffrey is dead. Tyrion and Sansa married. The Blackfish is still at Riverrun. Sansa fled Tyrion. The Lannisters have found Arya. On and on. Again, we all, we know it all. Finally, the tickler jumps in, suggesting that Sandor come with them to see his brother Gregor. Gregor would appreciate it, he indicates. Bugger that! Bugger him! Bugger you! Then they dance for realsies. While Arya struggles to dispatch the squire, Polly, happy birthday, Polly, Polliver, and the tickler use their advantage (laughs) to press Sandor. They I'm sure wound... she appreciates that comparison. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she does. Polliver. They wound him badly. Uh, ribs, ear, back of the neck, thigh. But they make a mistake. They corner him. Guys, guys, you never corner an animal. Sander lurches forward just like a cornered animal and dispatches Polliver quickly. The tables turn to the tickler, then tries to flee. But Arya has snuck up behind him, stabs him in the back with his own dagger, then jumps on top of him to finish the job. Uh, she's inflicting blows throughout with his own knife. She thrusts the tickler's own questions back at him, and I just have to read it. Is there gold hidden in the village? She shouted as she drove the blade up through his back. Is there silver? Gems? She stabbed twice more. Is there food? Where is Lord Beric? 
She was on top of him by then, still stabbing. Where did he go? How many men were with him? How many knights? How many bowmen? How many? 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 Is there gold in the village? It is a furious, terrifying attack, as if to underscore to all of us just what kind of a girl Arya has become. All that's left is the gift of mercy now for the squire, and Arya gives it with needle. Polly's been carrying it around this whole time, and after being dispatched, she's taken it from him and, uh, and, and done in the squire. So, the hound wounded, they set out for salt pans, Arya assisting him as they go. But he's in bad shape, guys. Uh, they stop and boil some wine to try and treat his wounds, but he gets worse, not better. The next time they're going to stop, he falls off his horse and crawls to a tree to just lay there. He's feverish. His thigh wound smells funny to Arya, and she has a choice to make. Sander begs for mercy, but Arya leaves him abruptly, indicating that he doesn't deserve mercy. She arrives at Salt Pans, intent on getting a ship. She sells Craven and hopes that will be enough, but it isn't. But when the captain mentions the ship is headed for Bravos, she's reminded of the coin given her by Jokanagar. Valor Morghulis, she says, handing him the coin. Of course, you shall have a cabin, he replies. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, interesting chapter, a lot going on. An end for Sandor, kind of a, a non-heroic, but not really a villainous death for the Hound either, assuming that... Arya's right, and that he doesn't deserve mercy, but will die under that tree. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think of of Arya just leaving him like that, and not just that, but kind of her dramatic turn for I don't know ability to uncaringly injure people. Now, her her mind has taken a weird turn. It really has, and I think that's highlighted by the fact that she was. I mean, we'll probably get to the the brutal death of the tickler. But uh, I'm thinking more about the death of the the little squire who she gives the gift of quote-unquote mercy to. Um, and she's able to kill him pretty without feeling, right? Yeah, she yeah. just kind of does it the way the hound taught her. And then she finds herself in the exact same situation with the hound, and she can't do it. And so I, I'm trying to figure it out in my head. Is what she trying to do, is she trying to inflict more pain upon him by making him die a slow death is she really that callous at this point or is she does she like him so much that she can't bear to to kill him uh herself yeah i think i think it's one of those things where it's easy to tell yourself one thing when you're feeling another and and make an excuse right she does Mm -hmm. have she has grown attached to him in some way and so she can tell herself well he doesn't deserve mercy when really, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she she can't bring herself to do it. I don't know. Maybe there's some of that. Yeah. I have to think about this, too. And honestly, like, how many of our, like, knee-jerk reactions are dictated just by, like, pettiness yeah. and the emotion we're feeling the strongest at that point in time? Yeah, yeah. she may have a deeper dedication to him. Yeah, she may just hate him so much that she wants to see him die tortured slowly. But honestly, I think that she was just annoyed in that moment. Like, she was being abandoned because, you know, he couldn't stay on a horse. He he was asking something huge of her. I think she was just annoyed. And the easiest thing to do was just to walk away. Yeah. But uh, I might be oversimplifying it. Well, it's hard to know. Maybe. Yeah, it is. It's hard to know. I can see all those as being reasons. Uh, along with that, how about the 
the hound's confession there at the end i mean obviously he was trying to goad her into uh giving him that mercy um mm. but at the same time you know that sobbing and everything that was going on there what did you think of kind of this whole humanization of the hound that's happened at times right we saw him cry when he was with sansa here we see him sobbing what do you think of of his arc overall of what we've gotten with him uh, uh, you said humanized, uh, humanized version. I think he's human. You know, he's had a, a bit of a rough life. Uh, I've come down on hmm. Sander in this cast before. He's a bully and I don't, I don't like him. I don't like to excuse that. Uh, he uses his, uh, I don't strength. think you've come down on him. You've come down on the people that turn True. him into some sort of hero. Right. Yeah. Some sort of hero. Right. You're right. And so I don't think he's, he's excused in that sense, but, uh, yeah, he's dying. He feels it. And of course, of course, he's having a, a human reaction to that, right? Especially for someone that, um, you know, religion is a very touch and go thing for him. Uh, you know, he had that moment with with Sansa, uh, where she sang him the the song uh, from the mother. You know, and I, I think that touched him a little bit. But I, I don't, I don't get the sense that he's a, a, a very religious guy. And you know, I think I think all of us that struggle with religion that don't have that peace of mind. Uh, that something that you're going on to something better when you reach that moment it's that's a very difficult thing to deal with uh so yeah i think it is absolutely a very human moment for him and um an interesting way for george to end him yeah i think he's he's always been a sensitive guy and and i don't think he cares that anyone sees him cry or or show weakness other than I, i think he only cares that people call him a knight i guess gets pretty sensitive over that it's got a bit of drama in him um i liked your analysis scad i think it's very you're, you're right I, I didn't really think about that he's dying so he's but, dealing with a lot of thoughts right i wonder if there's some regret uh in there um i don't think he meant what he said about sanza no i think that oh, was definitely that. A, a shot at aria i think yeah. Though that he I was, was trying thinking, to get Arya to finish him off. Yeah. yeah, and that he was even thinking about Sansa apart from her relationship to Arya in that moment mm-hmm. means that she meant a lot to him. I don't want to fetishize that relationship, but as you guys know, I think it's really cute. Very Beauty and the Beast. Someday that'll someday that'll be the cause of ending our friendship. <laughs> Add it to the pile. Yeah, I right. don't I don't love it either, but uh, but I do think he's I do agree that he's got deep feelings for her, whether they're kind of paternal in a sense or maybe they are romantic. I don't know, but I, I do think that there's some regret that's coming out in these sobs now, um, and uh, not so much that like I wish I would have confessed my true feelings for Sansa. But just that, you know, things didn't go better. I yeah. think maybe Sandor, deep down under all that callousness, hoped for a better life eventually, mm-hmm. you know? And, and laying there all beat up and torn up and everything, he realized he, he never got that. And there's probably feelings of of just kind of that regret that might come along with that. Yeah. But, um, oh, well. Should we go back to the inn? Let's go back to the inn. Finally. Yeah. Did you like my my attempt at one half of a line of rap at the very beginning of my summary? Yeah, you little stud muffin. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, so, why? Th- this is a general point, not just for A Song of Ice and Fire. Why does Polliver tell Sandor all this stuff? 
why do villains monologue like this? I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, r- r- real realistically, I don't know that Sandor or Arya even need all of this information for where they're, you know, for 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 what they're doing. I mean, he doesn't have any. He doesn't love the two of them or anything. Why? Why is he giving them all this information? There could be I some thought, alcohols oh, involved. Could be that alcohol's involved. I did think maybe he's trying to wait longer and longer so Sandor keeps drinking and gets drunk. Like, let's keep the conversation mm-hmm. going for as long as possible so Sandor gets as drunk as we are. I got the impression they wanted him to either capture him or convince him to come with him, or come with them for Gregor. Yeah. Was uh, kind of what I was left so, with So there. maybe all this small talk is uh, just easing the tension of the room so that it'll be more agreeable to come along? Yeah. Okay, I'll buy that. Yep. Good explanation. However, I do quibble with uh, Sandor getting drunk in what amounted to probably ten minutes of time. Crossroads, man. For 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 someone as dedicated to the craft of alcoholism as the as the Hound seems to be, it's going to take a lot more than ten minutes and three goblets of wine to make him drunk. <laughs> I mean, it takes That's time for, for alcohol to even hit. Look, I did six double shots in ten minutes once, and it took me an hour before I was completely hammered. It was uh, it's a f- ugly. You guys probably don't want the whole story. I might make an enemy out of Matt if I tell the whole thing. Yeah, because I'm really sensitive about those things. <laughs> uh, you want the story? It, it, it involved a very immature me at the end of the night screaming something along the lines of "Fuck you, God! I hate you, God!" Uh, in the middle of a D, the D's parking lot. Shout out D's. This was before I was a dedicated atheist and still had questions about, uh, you know, religion in general, and was pursuing a, a Mormon girl. Uh, in my in the in my pursuits of love, she had just broken up with me. Although we were hanging out that night and hit a party, and so I did six shots in ten minutes, six double shots in ten minutes. It was not oh not. A... You, you are Sandor. Keep going. Yeah, it was not. It was not a good moment for me, and not not a good story that I feel proud of telling. Did you hey, Shuri, ask her to sing you a song hey, after? Uh, no, she wasn't much of a singer. Uh, lovely girl, uh, married, lots of kids. Um, She's awesome, but uh, anyway, yeah, it was it was not not a good moment. But but the point of the story is you don't get drunk in ten minutes, like especially if you're a huge behemoth guy like Sandor who drinks all the time. Like mm. it's not believable. Write in, wow. tell me I'm yeah. wrong, everybody. Write in, tell me I'm wrong. I feel like maybe like because all of these unbelievable things, timing wise, coincidence wise, <laughs> physics wise, are happening right at the end of the book. Maybe like. Gurm was phoning it in at this point. He's <laughs> like, yeah, uh, and he's drunk now. I don't know. To me, it's... Yeah, Stan has made it in three days. Look, <laughs> I love these books, and I realize I've done two of these in two consecutive chapters. I don't mean to come down on them. I love them. I just feel like this is a detail we could have easily let out. He could be... Sandra can be <laughs> drinking, but don't pretend that that's what's affecting his performance. Just call it like it is. It's one on two, which in a real world is basically a death sentence. If you're fighting two capable people with, you know, at the same time, that's virtually a death sentence. And I like the way George treats that. He usually does it that way. Even skilled fighters taking two on one is very difficult. You know, Scad, maybe you hit on something here because he's only drunk from Arya's point of view, right? That's 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 exactly what I was just about to say. Maybe he wasn't drunk. Maybe he saw this opportunity to, like, die and took it. Maybe. He said he's drunk. Arya realized with dismay he drank too much too fast with no food in his belly. Yeah, but she she also yeah she she notes that his movements are his cuts were sloppier. Uh, his parries they're not rushed. like normal. Maybe, but 
Maybe his tummy was just upset, Scott. You're right. It's still it's still the perception of a what is she twelve, twelve uh, year old girl, and you're right. It's fallible. So all right, I take it all back. Can I take back the D's story? Nope, that's out there. No, that was amazing. Oh my gosh, it's so so teenage scad. I love it. Yeah, I was awesome back then. Still awesome, buddy. Hey, thanks. Okay, uh, anything else you guys want for this chapter? We didn't talk about salt pans at all. We didn't talk about Valor Magulis. Pretty straightforward stuff, I guess. Yeah, I'm surprising that uh, the, the, the coin turned that uh, captain's mind around awful quick, but I have a feeling we'll learn more about that later. I would hope so. It's a pretty weird thing. That captain, mm-hmm. I, I will throw, throw it out for him. He was awesome. You know, the the one little crewman guy's heckling yeah. Arya. And the guy's like, hey. He takes the time to at least talk to her. Yeah, yeah, takes the time. Hey, girl, Sweet how you pet. doing? Like, can you, do you have, no, it's not going to be enough, you know. Kind of <laughs> taking it easy on her, but. Sweet. Anyway, all right. Uh, let's move on. I think we're at Sam, and that's Matt. You don't think that you belong here, but boy, let me tell you, you do. Sam will Tarly, they can hardly keep your dreams from coming true. Slaying things that'll make the bravest shiver. Time and time again, boy, you deliver. Slaying, fighting, reading, and writing. Sam will, boy, this world was made for you. Yeah, we're getting a lot of John this chapter. Uh, and cool to get it through someone else's POV. I realize that this is... Oh, maybe with the exception of Bran, clear back in a Game of Thrones, this is like the first time we really see Bran through or John through someone else's POV, right? Bran and Eddard in Game of Thrones, maybe Catelyn too, mm. but other than them, <laughs> <laughs> it never happens except you know always, except all the time. <laughs> but it has been a good couple books, okay, since we've seen it. All right, it's been a while. You Jeez. get you get some Try thoughts it. about John from Sam earlier, but he's not around. So yeah, right. Uh, so after swapping wall sides with Bran and co Sam and Gilly have made it to castle black and a few things to cover just real quick. So we're caught up on the story. So here's how the battle at the end of the last John chapter went down. Uh, Stannis obviously heeding Davos's advice to go North lands his ship as Eastwatch. We talked about this from there. Cotter Pike led Stannis and his men to castle black resulting in the ambush. John was caught in the middle of. So after this victory over the wildlings, Mance was captured his gal pal Dalla uh, died giving birth in the middle of the battle. Uh, R.I.P. Dalla. Um, that child is currently being taken care of by Val, Dalla's sister, who's living at Castle Black. And the child is being nursed by Gilly, um, who's, got, who's got a kid of her own and enjoys making comparisons about the sucking habits of both babies. Sam has not told John about his encounter with Bran. So John has no idea that Bran's still alive. Uh, Stannis, his men, and his red lady, but not his mustached lady wife, have moved into Castle Black. More than a thousand southern troops now occupy Castle Black, which obviously like disrupts things a little bit. Um, next, John is no longer sitting in an ice cage, although Alistair Thorne continues to lead the smear campaign against him, criticizing John for not killing wildlings but defending them. At least Dalla, Val, and the baby during the battle. So, I mean, obviously, John should have started killing wildlings as soon as Stannis and his men charged into the camp, right? Oh, next, Sam admits to John of his fondness for Gilly and reveals a plan he's been concocting to ensure her safety, namely to send her south to his old home at Horn Hill, 
under the pretense that the child is his bastard. He's sure his mother would take Gilly and the baby in, and John, uniquely qualified to weigh in on what it's like to grow up a bastard in a lord's house, is actually cautiously optimistic about the boy's future, which could perhaps, he says, even include knighthood one day. So anyways, that's we're all caught up now, and now to the task at hand. The Night's Watch needs to pick a new Lord Commander. It's long overdue. Uh, the cool thing about the Watch is that anyone can become Lord Commander. Uh, all that's required is for that man, a sworn brother knight of the Night's Watch, to obtain the votes of two-thirds of the other sworn brothers. So right now there's seven-ish candidates, but the three front runners appear to be Cotter Pike, uh, Commander at the Castle East Watch, Dennis Malister, commander at the Shadow Tower, and our favorite, Jono Slint. Um, but after nine votes over nine days, no one was even close to obtaining the required two-thirds. So at that evening's vote, and it seems like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the voting seems to occur every night around supper. They do a vote. Um, Dennis Malister receives the most votes, but it's still not enough. It's not two-thirds. Worse off, John O'Slint seems to be making up more and more ground with each vote. He even gains the support of storied Night's Watch vets like Bowen Marsh. Uh, in the end, though, uh, it's another vote with no finalized result. Oh, well. As, Ma- as Maester Amon says, the brothers will come to a decision in their own time. He even notes that one choosing took like two years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam's head wheels, however, are spinning. He's desperate to keep John O'Slint off the Black Throne. Uh, and, and thinking such, he notes that if Malister and Pike's parties joined forces and chose one of the two to vote for, they would easily obtain the two-thirds vote. But as Grin and Pip note, Malister and Pike don't exactly see eye to eye on anything. I mean, their posts at opposite ends of the wall are essentially a if you can't get along, go to your rooms type scenario. Uh, Sam's confident that if someone, though, could just talk to them, speak reason, one of them could be convinced to support the other for the greater good. But who's going to do the talking to them? Who's going to convince them? Certainly not the craven Sam, right? And uh, the, right. We, on that chapter. I kind of like that uh, That the, the, the Night's Watch is run this way. Uh, Democratic. Yeah, they, well, they definitely need runoff voting. Runoff voting a lot. So they have what eight candidates or something, even the silly ones. You tell everyone, and this would be more complicated than dropping a penny in a bucket or whatever it is the coins that they're using, uh, tokens that they're using. But you rank them. So there are eight candidates. I like Dennis Malister the best, John O'Slit second best, then Cotter Pike, then this guy, then this guy, then this guy, then this guy. You only vote one time, okay? If if there's not a, usually runoff voting just takes a 50% majority, but it could work for two-thirds as well, I think. Um, if if there's no, if nobody has two-thirds of the vote, you drop the guy with the least amount of votes off. Anybody that cast their vote for him, you move their votes to their second favorite choice. Mm. If there's still nobody above 66%, you take the next lowest candidate. Anyone who had him first or second, if it was one of these guys that's already been eliminated for their first vote, you move to their next choice. So you are you move down in a priority uh, perspective until somebody gets enough votes, and that way the most people are the most happy with who's elected. Hmm. I like that. Sounds very complicated for the men of the Night's Watch, though. Well, Maester Amon is a genius. I'm sure he can figure it out. <laughs> Can you imagine him trying to teach all of them, though? <laughs> yes, yeah. so, the rapists and thieves. He's like, 
yeah, 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 it's true. All right, I really fine, I withdraw it again. I mean, okay, you guys I are know, making like fun it. of Maester Eamon, but you gotta give him credit. I mean, I'm he not making fun of him. From, 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 from getting thrown off the wall by a rope, or however they hang the guys there. But, uh, I'm not making fun of him at all. You guys are great. Do you like you're making fun of him? Just take it easy on Maester Eamon, okay? Maybe you need to go eat a, a brownie. <laughs> Come on. An edible? It, it was a square of chocolate. <laughs> Not a brownie. Oh, excuse me, a piece of fudge. Yeah, by the way, I feel like you should have done more. <laughs> You're going to go, just go all the way, buddy. Full tongue posture. I, I, felt, <laughs> I felt silly enough as it is. Full uh, Jurassic Park <laughs> triceratops. Full triceratops tongue. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> we ruined your transition to Maester Amon saving John. And uh, Sorry. it was a good transition. Did you want? Did you want to make more points on that? Uh, no, just that Janos Flint and Alistair Thorne are just like dicks, bags of dicks. Yeah, two big old bags of dicks. And for Mister Amon, who they certainly make fun of, blind old guy with a chain around mm-hmm. his neck is, I believe, what they Idiot. refer to him as. Yeah, yeah, dummy. He certainly kept them in line. I mean. I it sure was with threats to bring Cotter Pike in on the on the situation, who sounds like a real piece of work. <laughs> if you don't calm down, I'm calling Cotter. But it but it worked. So it did. yeah, so he is obviously a persuasive, compelling kind of guy. Well, he holds he holds the respect of every single member of the Night's Watch, and so if they go against what he says, everyone will know it, and they'll be on every single Black Brothers shit list. Let's put it this way: they wouldn't be winning any votes. Um, mm. They kind of re- they kind of remind me, uh, Janos and and uh, oh Jesus, I forgot his name, Alistair. Janos Alistair? And, and Thorn. Yeah, they remind me a little a little bit. It's not a perfect analogy, but of uh, Theoden and Grima Wormtongue. Late is the hour in which this conjurer chooses to appear. Last spell, I name it. Ill news is new. Miss Silent, give your forked tongue behind your teeth. Because oh, yeah. Alistair is capable and knows how the game is played and is totally whispering little things in Jonas's ear as his mouthpiece. And Jonas is just kind of like repeating them as a, uh, you know, controlled Theoden. Yeah, That's pretty good. Like Except Jowlier. His... Yeah, way yeah, Jowlier. Jowlier. And, uh, <laughs> with his claims, of, I ran the City Watch, so I'm obviously most qualified. Gosh, talk about a, a big fish in a small pond mm. thing going on, right? It's just guys, it's terrible. Yeah. Bag of dicks summed it up. Uh, Tywin sent that veiled message to Bowen Marsh saying that he would support the Night's Watch if yeah. they mm. if they put in a Lord Commander who you know he could support. And then at the end of his letter he said Oh, and give your regards to, I don't remember the exact words, my most esteemed friend, John O'Slint. You yeah. know, he throws that in at the end, right. obviously saying who he wants it to be, yeah. which could explain why people like Marsh are supporting Slint and maybe even Alice are looking for a, to get into Lord Tywin's good graces if he knows about that letter. I don't know if he does. Maybe I'm daft, but I don't know why Tywin would even bother caring about that. What does he care? I think Tywin... 
he, you know, he tries to pre-plan a little bit. He tries to, you know, set up pieces when he can. And he saw this as an opportunity to, you know, be an influence over the Night's Watch just in case yeah. someday it needed it. I guess I just, the way he talks about the Night's Watch, it just seems like they're an afterthought to him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's just sitting up there right. looking the opposite yeah. direction, who gives a shit. But you're right, it's probably right. just another another arrow in his quiver that he was thinking about ahead of time. It's probably right. I did some math, and I'm not very good at math, but if my counting is correct at the number of votes that were cast, the total Night's Watch strength right now, if the total number of votes is an indicator of the Night's Watch strength, is about 590. Oh, God. It's awful. Spread out throughout, you know, along the whole wall. And while you mention that, how big a joke is it that Cotter Pike and Dennis Malister are going to cast votes for the men that they're... Yeah. In their, like, <laughs> I'm sure I know where thing. all those votes went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're wondering why Dennis Malister is getting all those votes. They told me they're going to vote for. Don't worry, I'll <laughs> yeah. be honest as I go behind yeah. this curtain to cast my vote. <laughs> for sure. Uh, we didn't talk, I don't think, about the dreams at all, uh, which uh, just one thing um, John mentions uh, about, you know, I don't dream about ghosts anymore. What the fuck is ghost doing out there? Yeah, who knows, buddy? He's got a full belly on <laughs> wildlings, I guess? I don't know, like... We've talked about this after dark, but yeah, maybe he's waging a, a one-man war against the others, or a one-wolf war. Mm-hmm. One-wolf war. There's lots of lady wolves out there. Yeah, Ooh. he's my war for sure. <laughs> I've been cooped up behind that wall for a long time. I'll go back to John, but first... Let me sow some oats. You know, we are, like we are an endangered species, us dire wolves. I need to make sure that we propagate. Yeah, I, that's what was happening. Well, I mean... If the thickets are rocking, don't dictates. come knocking. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows, man? Who knows who he's uh, cavorting with over there, or if he's doing anything at all. Maybe he's just walking along the wall trying to find some way in, you know? Every few feet he's pawing along it, trying to find a little hole or something to get through. Yeah, I went there, Brooke. I went. And it's just like... Why are you like this? (laughs) Can we move on? Uh, sure. Uh, in in good news, good to have Ed back. Do you think? Do you think maybe George? Ed said. Ed said. Do you think maybe George, kind of on Brooks' line of like, oh, I gotta get through these books, but they're so boring without Ed around. I'm bringing him back. Let's bring him back from that bridge of skulls. Somehow, somehow he ended up way over at at the uh, Shadow Tower, and we're bringing him back. I'm bored writing without his without uh, my Ed lines. Oh, he's so great. I love that Pip is like... <laughs> one vote. Yeah. <laughs> that was just the perfect little addition. <laughs> yeah. Good old Ed. Uh, I think that's all I got, buddy. All right. Buddies. Let's move on. Uh, John. Brooke, that's you. <laughs> We're just going to um, hang out at the wall gosh, for a while, John. right? Jeez. Where we're going up north where the winter's cold And the icicles bloom like the bluest rose We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf He's John Snow This is a, this is a short one, so just a little more John 
So Stannis has summoned John to have some chats on top of the wall, making John ride up the winch cage with Melisandre's company, which is super fun. And she's super creepy as usual. And when John asks what Stannis wants of him, Melisandre replies, all that you have to give Jon Snow. And you can like taste John's eye roll. It's great. So Stannis surprises John by believing that John is not a turncloak, that he did not did what was commanded of him when he joined the Wildlings, and that he is also not a warg. This is kudos to looking like the get of Ned Stark, who was no friend to Stannis, but whom Stannis credited with incomparable honor. Stannis interrogates John for a while longer to get the feel for him. And you can tell that Stannis really appreciates John's matter-of-factness and dry humor, which is so rare in Stannis's orbit these days. And this appreciation probably goes towards Stannis's offer of legitimizing John as the Stark heir and making him Lord of Winterfell so long as he is loyal to Stannis's claim. So John is kind of blown away by this proposition. He definitely didn't see it coming and weakly protests that he's a man of the night's watch, that he took his vows. And Melisandre is like, uh, don't worry about it. A vow to false gods can be tossed. So uh, you're, you're off the hook. And Stannis is like, uh, and you'll need to marry hot Val, the wildling princess, to unite the north with the wildlings, who I want to settle on the gifts so long as they pledge their allegiance to me as well. And John is like, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, marrying hot Val, eh? Hmm, letting the wildlings behind the wall, just like I wanted, huh? Everything I've mm-hmm. ever wanted in life. Let me oh, think about I it. I could be John Stark instead of John Snow. Oh, hmm. you go make another mess in his furs again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a so John is feeling a lot of conflicting things, mostly stemming from the fact that he has made a major commitment to the Night's Watch, the, the biggest commitment of his life. He is a sworn brother, but. Uh, Stannis is dangling something pretty ripe right in front of his nose. And, and that's the end of the chapter. You think Val's so basically, right, huh? <laughs> John Ew. literally describes her as a comely, which is such a weird descriptor. Yeah, what a weird word. <laughs> Be large-breasted but slender, graceful yeah. even in repose, light eyes, honey-colored braid, she seems smart, which is probably a, a secondary feature, but uh, it's nice yeah. to have, but not yeah. a requirement. <laughs> um, to John's credit, though, he's not outwardly lustful. He's not like yeah. he's, not he's gross never about it. indicated he's... anything other than to... admitting that she's pretty. Yeah, I mean, she's never. Pretty. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we learn from experience that that John does like women. Um, but, makes wildlings. As our friend Phonetic said, once you go wildling, you never go back. It's Well, it's true. And also in wilding tradition, typically a woman has to be stolen, but John prefers to be stolen. So, yeah. so it's obvious why he's not like getting all crazy about Val. One, when the stance offers are up, it's, it's kind of cute. John laughs in his face. He's like, listen, buddy, you're not making any wildling girl marry anyone <laughs> and, uh, but but in John's case yeah Val will have to catch him yeah just, just like did. yeah yeah 
it's it's interesting it's interesting to see where George will go with with the whole the whole Val thing. Like she's always been kind of up until like this chapter, kind of like a a, a minor character that's not that important, right? The sister of she's back there with yeah, the, uh, yeah. But but well, what she's really used for is like setting a basis of comparison for all other wildling women who are just <laughs> ugly. Ugly it's like eggs. A, it's an unfair. <laughs> she is the unfair bar to which all should be compared. <laughs> That's really her main purpose. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. This is the pinnacle of wildling beauty. Everybody else, a fucking dog. So what? What would you do? Would you take? Would you take the offer? Well, I'm surprised that there wasn't like some sort of other attack or something just before John opened his mouth to ask one more time to think about it. I don't know, maybe the wall collapsing underneath their feet, <laughs> Melisandre going up in flames, something. Yeah, but, uh, snowball fight breaking out on the wall, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it, it's uh, for all that we joke um, from the chapter. It really seemed that the idea of being the heir and lord of Winterfell was the strongest pull for John. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Here's the question I was asking myself though along with that is I mean, Stannis is giving John the option, but does John really have an option? Like what if he says no to Stannis? Will Stannis be like, "All right. I guess I'll go find someone else." Like what's how Stannis going to react to a rejection? Well, actually Stannis kind of thinks about or or communicates that a little bit in this chapter because Uh he's like he's like well you're a bastard so we all know that bastards are inherently untrustworthy but you're the tool that relor gave me and so i have to use you so i would say to answer your question matt stannis will not take no for an answer that's what i'm implying yep yeah it kind of sniffing it it kind of doesn't sound that way but yeah I don't know. I, I kind of think, I kind of think John should take it because I, I, it would. Not only is it what he wants, which um, you know, my in the last chapter we were just talking about, I said he should do his fucking duty and just kill Mance and for the Night's Watch or whatever. And now I'm saying, do what you want. I realize <laughs> I'm being hypocritical, but in this case, doing what he wants might really be the best thing for everybody. Absolutely, for everyone. For right. every single person, for the Night's Watch, because he could, uh, you know, rally the North to send more people and help, uh, and it would get Stannis to help as well. Um, you know, it, it would it would clear the Ironborn out of you know out of the North potentially, if 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 that's what Stannis is is wanting, you know, uh, to 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 have an ally in the North for that, uh, which I'm sure is something that that John, being a North a Northman, would want. You know, I mean, you could say we're trading the Ironborn for Stannis, and I don't know if that's an upgrade, depending on who you are. But uh, it, it seem it seems like the best thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. But it would be, and this is why we love John. Way back in March Madness, we were like, "Why do you like John?" Well, we like John because he loves keeping his word. He's all about that, right? It's very his important. To Ned him. Stark's son. His Ned Stark honesty. Yep. But he has shown in the past that he is willing to sacrifice for the greater good. You know, killing Corrin Halfhand, for example. Yep. Well, that was an and... order. That was an order he was given. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, still. But still, um, I'm trying to find, because I didn't write it down. I wish I had. Uh, and here he finds, finally, a king that 
cares at all about the problem going on up north. And what is it that Stannis says when he says, you know, I was worried about getting my throne to save the kingdom, but I should have been saving the kingdom to get the throne. Yeah, yeah, that's what he says, and he credits Davos for telling him that, Uh for making him see that, at least. I think Davos put it a little more rurally. He's like, Mm -hmm. you've got your your car before your horse. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to, I mean, even as readers, where he says, this is where I'll find the foe that I was born to fight. Yeah, It's like, yes, finally someone who's thinking beyond their own political position and is actually, I mean, as far as he's telling John, is putting the realm first. You know, that's someone where when you get that offer, you start thinking about the bigger picture and going, is this a king I can get behind? And, you know, how do I support him? And I think I agree with you, Scott, that the best way to support him is to take that offer, even if it means giving up on his Night's Watch vows. Which he's very sensitive about right now, especially with Alisar and Janos shoving it in his face every second they can. Mm. Now he's a traitor and stuff. So it is a sensitive topic for him right now, too. we got to remember that. I want to go back to the here's the foe I was born to fight thing. And it makes you think about Mel a little bit. Because that's right. That's that's where the rubber meets the road. Here is where my foe is. What is she doing messing around with all that other crap? Why isn't why didn't she bring him here a long time ago? Does she think maybe she's seen it in the fire, she thinks maybe she thought he needed to be king in order to Yeah, to I'm wondering his if role she was or... doing a bit of the cart before the horse thing too. Yeah. And Davos corrected her. She'd never admit it that she learned something from Davos, but maybe, you know, that got to her too. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the deal with Mel. I don't know. It just seems, seems weird that somebody with her foresight, her abilities would, would Mm -hmm. be misdirected that way. It, it's, it introduces a sense of fallibility and imperfection in Melisandre that maybe she's kind of learning as she goes as well. Faking it till she makes it. Yeah. I did. I did love that whole that whole conversation with Stannis yeah. and John on the wall. It was it was like uh, this little battle of two people correcting inconsequential errors in speech. It's like <laughs> it's like Lord Snow. I'm not a lord. Like like all these like you know these little kind of. I'm not going to let you get away with any incorrect things in what you're saying. Just Stannis mm-hmm. correcting John. Really John correcting sure. Stannis. It was pretty hilarious. These two. I do, I do joke about it, but yeah. I think I think Stannis really does like John though. I do too. Because at yeah. at one point, You're right? <laughs> I think they could be buddies, sort of like a a Bron Tyrion thing. They just have a, have a similar senses of humor and and similar just, personalities. Yeah, what they do is they just sit and brood together. <laughs> yeah, it'd be the most mopey <laughs> hangout <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm but, a bastard. Uh, yeah, well, I was Stannis. supposed to get my brother's castle. I'm a bastard. <laughs> Yeah, well, I should be king. <laughs> I'm a bastard. You're joking, but you're absolutely right. It's funny because it's true. Brood sessions, brood sessions. Well, at one point, Stannis asks John, he's like, why do you think I came to the wall? And John is like, uh, because we asked you to, yeah. and why did you <laughs> yeah. take so long? Yeah. And Stannis is like, hmm, you might actually be a Stark after all. Yeah, yeah I think great. I like you. Yeah. <laughs> It all. It also yeah. made me still wonder. I've asked this question before. Why is Dahl knowing at the wall? Stannis's response to John. He says something like, mm. "Had the gods seen fit to spare him, he would have made a great lord commander." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, why'd you he... abandon him? 
Like, why isn't he still in your service? What happened? I want to know what happened with Donald Noy. Yeah, I definitely want to know that backstory. He made Robert's Warhammer. Warhammer, yes. What a boon. That's the the Warhammer that that changed the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it certainly changed Scad's dreams. It did. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Okay, are we, you guys have anything (sighs) else? Ready to move on? Yeah, we we done fangirling Jon Snow and Stannis. Stannis, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The war of their lives. This is this is a good one. It is. I did. This was a very redeeming chapter for Stannis for me. I really liked him in this chapter. Me too. Me too. Uh, Thought of this uh, this real quick. This John Mayer song called "War of My Life." Here he says, "I'm in the war of my life, at the door of my life, out of time, and there's nowhere to run. So fight on." Got no choice but to fight until it's done. Got no choice but to fight till it's done. So fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Got no choice but to fight until it's done. And I kind of feel like that's where Stannis is right now. He's just. You know what? No more complaining. No more brooding about the Blackwater. This is my fight, and I just got to fight till it's over. You know, one way or the other. And I feel like that's kind of where John is too. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Did you see John Mayer? Yeah, dude. That's blowing my I'm, mind. That's pretty I'm a big good. Mayer pretty fan. Good lyrics. And you need to grab that song too because the lyrics aren't even the best part of the song. The, it's the way he sings them and stuff. It's like it's not a ballad, but it's also not up tempo. It's just like a very earnest type of song and it's 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 a beautiful kind of deep track off of his album battle studies which is his worst album but i am, <laughs> I am pretty set in my ways musically uh and i thought of john mayer as a complete punk candy pop you should with the way he's supported himself oh yeah. well maybe but <laughs> matt matt convinced me matt convinced me that he was uh a musical genius and a guitar genius and mm-hmm. uh, lent me some music from John Mayer and converted me. I've been converted by Matt. Wow. It's not he the full conversion artist. he's looking for. Yeah. But musically, he's okay. converted me on this one artist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Mayer, a talented, talented guitarist for sure. I'm so he's glad. He's a D-bag. Yeah. And he's a self-acknowledged D-bag at this point. He's been very open about his his past now but uh brilliant songwriter oh my gosh guy's amazing and the disc you loaned me a a little bit of a (laughs) departure again but the disc you loaned me it was like it was a live disc and Mm -hmm. he had like some i don't know what they're legends but blues basically blues musicians on stage with him and he basically went up there and refused to play any of the poppy shit that everyone was there to hear and he played nothing (laughs) but but awesome blues shit and it was awesome and yeah, you, you could but, almost you could it, almost feel the unease in the in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Like they like, wanted to this hear isn't what we came for. Yeah, exactly. They and wanted he, to hear your body is a wonderland. Yes, exactly. Right. And he didn't care. He's like, I'm playing this now. It was kind of cool. right. Yeah, it was at the height of his fame. You know, he'd won his Grammys for Your Body's a Wonderland and Daughters, these pop standards. Now and then he he joins up, like Scott said, with two guys, Pino Palladino and Robert Jordan, two famed black Jews Jews. <laughs> I don't That's think you trying understood to mix that. Jazz right. and blues. Wow. Jazz and blues. Black <laughs> blues players? I listened to that. One guy was is black and 
but <laughs> blues and jazz. Obviously, you say the two together. It's Jews. Okay, Jews. I'm sorry. <laughs> J U E S. Jews. Blaz, but Jews is clearly better. <laughs> all that Jew blaz stuff. But uh, yeah, he he dropped like all his old songs, his old band, everyone, and joined up with these two guys and just shredded for like a year he went on tour with yeah. these guys and and he yeah. did it on purpose he did it to show people that he wasn't the your body is a wonderland guy that he was legit and he did yeah. anyways what's the name of that what's the name of that live album because i fully recommend it too it's called try it's the john mayer trio is what it's called when he's with them and the album's called try and then they also released an album together just under John Mayer's name called Continuum, which is his masterpiece album. So I recommend either of those, Try or Continuum, uh, are incredible. Cool. On that front, were, we done? were we done with John and John? Yes. Done with both, both Johns. Johns. All right, Tyrion, and that's, uh, that's you, Matt. Cripples and bastards and broken things But the power of the mind can give you wings Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies Tyrion Lannister or Imp, if you please So Tyrion's safely secured and tucked away in the black cells of the Red Keep The same place where our dear beloved Eddard spent some of his final hours And Tyrion doesn't know it yet, but he's just a few hours away from his own execution uh, when he hears noises outside his cell door, he's sure the time has come. Until who steps through the door? Jamie Lannister. Big brother, come to rescue little brother in a moment that is quite sweet considering the circumstances. Uh, I was waiting for a, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? But that would sound weird coming from Tyrion. Uh, they jape and joke about their predicaments, and we get some refreshing insight into a le- legitimately like tender brotherly relationship. They just they're just cute together, until Tyrion thanks Jamie for saving him, and Jamie's like, "No prob, I owed you." Tyrion's <sighs> like, Tyrion's like, "Cool, uh, what? What do you mean?" And after some prodding, Jamie confesses. Remember Tysha, the crofter's daughter who Tyrion met as a young teen, uh, ran away and married? The one who, once Tywin found out, had all his men gang rape, making Tyrion watch and then go last? And who, according to Jamie, was actually just a whore who'd been hired to make Tyrion a man and was just playing the whole time? Yeah, her. Well, funny thing, Jamie says, she wasn't actually a whore tywin told jamie and tysha as far as jamie knew was legit she loved Tyrion. maybe she was in it for lannister gold yes he doesn't know for certain but also maybe not there's that glimmer of maybe and despite jamie's humility in admitting this Tyrion is pissed he whacks jamie across the face and jamie was crouched down uh not so he falls over from this and then Tyrion goes two places that even though i knew he was mad and didn't blame him for being mad i i really wasn't expecting first he threatens jamie's life saying that if they ever meet up again they're having it out uh and the right handless has been versus the dwarf Tyrion feels like he stands a chance now at least in his moment of anger And the second thing is when Jaime asks if Tyrion killed Joffrey, Tyrion loudly and proudly proclaims that, yes, you bet he did. 
Oh, and Cersei, she's screwing everybody in King's Landing, from Lancel to the Kettleblacks to friggin' Moonboy. So there, Jamie. Awkward, so it's obvious that this conversation is over, and Jamie, having freed his brother, takes his leave of him without another word. Uh, Tyrion continues on, meeting his next escape assistant, the one and only Varys. The spider has a ship all arranged that's going to take Tyrion across the narrow sea to the free cities, where Tyrion can try to live in anonymity. But that doesn't go exactly as planned either, as Tyrion recognizes where he and Varys are in the Tunnels of the Red Keep as a place that Shay had once described to him when she was recounting how she had snuck into his room in the Tower of the Hand. So he's like, hey, Varys, can I get to the Tower of the Hand from here? And Varys is like, yeah, but come on, we gotta hurry. And Tyrion's like, eh, nah, I need you to tell me how to get to sneak into the tower. And Varys is like, okay, go up the ladder, turn this way, go that way, do this. And Tyrion's like, cool, BRB. So following Varys' directions, Tyrion is indeed able to sneak into the Tower of the Hand from behind the fireplace. He's in the bedchamber when he hears a familiar voice coming from the bed. And there's only one person there. Guess who it is? Shay in Tywin Lannister's bed, naked, and wearing the hand's necklace, no doubt. She she sees him, and she immediately starts crying, claiming she had no choice but to lie, etc., etc. But then she has her uh, awkward moment when she calls Tyrion her giant of a Lannister. Uh, uh, Tyrion, <laughs> taking the chain around her neck, strangles Shay. She did. Um... But why stop there? <clears throat> so Tywin's around there somewhere. So taking a crossbow off the wall, Tyrion goes hunting. He finally finds his father with his pants down. Like Literally, he's sitting on the toilet for a late night, probably post-coital dump. Uh, a pretty common scenario. As Tyrion enters, Tywin, always able to hold his composure, shows very little surprise nor fear, deducing that Varys must have freed Tyrion. Uh, Tywin calmly attempts to explain to Tyrion that he does not mean to have him killed, and that he's actually finalizing an agreement with the Tyrells to send Tyrion to the Wall. Tyrion's like, nah, I just have a question for you. Then he asks him what he ended up doing with Tysha. Tywin's like, who? Oh, your first whore. Eh, wrong word. Uh, Tyrion threatens Tywin, telling them that if he says that word again, he will kill him. And then he asks again, what did you do with Tysha? And Tywin's like, I don't know, dude. I guess she's somewhere. I did never find out. Where did she go? Tyrion asks. And Tywin replies, wherever whores go. With that, true to his word, Tyrion looses a crossbow bolt, which hits Tywin right in the gut above his groin. Tywin's final words were, you are no son of mine. And then he dies, his bowels loosening in the moment of his death, proving to Tyrion that no, contrary to popular belief, Tywin's fecal matter is not comprised of gold. And there's the end of that train wreck of a chapter. Holy cow. Oh, Did you boy. think that was how his whole escape was going to go once Jamie busted him out? Hmm? It's beautiful. Here's the thing, though. Why did Jamie tell him the truth? My gosh, Jamie. Why? Guilty oh. consciences are a bitch. Jamie's got this oh. whole thing. And he's thing. on this whole yeah. redemptive thing, yeah. yeah. It's on his mind right now. 
Uh, but oh. if only he would have just wouldn't have said that one little thing. I don't remember what the exact thing was, but it was essentially like I owed you one. If only he would have just kept his mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, no problem for breaking you out. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you're cool, my brother. Dude. No problem. I love you. Love because, you bro. Yeah, even if I did something really terrible in my youth to you, I would never tell you now because I know that it would be devastating. It would just hurt. Yeah. Oh. oh. And I, I really appreciate that at that moment, Tywin or Tyrion, like, I, I don't believe that Jamie or Tywin really saw Taisha as like a human. She was mm-hmm. basically just, you know, uh, a, a, a passing fancy for Tyrion that they had to get rid of. But Tyrion was like, she was my wife. My was wife. There, yeah. And that. I hope really brought it home for Jamie that he did something far worse than he was trying to release by confessing. He even tries mm-hmm. to justify it in the confession. Ugh. He says, Tywin says that she was after it for money, and so that makes her no better than a whore anyway. Right? It's right. like his justification for it. Quite <laughs> Jamie's probably thinking, I, I wasn't planning on that going that way either. The worst <laughs> part, which was so awkward and darkly comical at the same time as when Tyrion like gives him the business and slaps him and stuff and and then he then he like stalks away and goes to open the door and it's yeah. locked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Making this dramatic exit. Yeah. Yeah. Go for the door. So what do you think about uh Tywin being a huge hypocrite and sleeping with Shay? Oh my gosh! If How did that come around? To King's Landing, yeah. you're dead, buddy. Oh I think, my gosh! I think this is meant to be a clear indication to the reader that Tywin is a hypocrite about everything. Mm-hmm. This is not one thing. This is not a one-off. Mm-hmm. This is not meant to be just one thing that gets under Tyrion's skin. His life is full of contradictions, just like this. Double standards, putting on airs, pretending he's perfect, and it's just not true. I have no evidence mm. of any of this, but I feel like it's a it's a literary device used by George to tell us that that's who Tywin is. Right. Yeah, Tywin totally right. is very, very, very PR-minded, right? It's it's solely on the outward appearance. It's how things look, as in particular how the Lannisters are looking. That's what he's focusing on, on how it looks on the outside. Screw whatever kind of dysfunction is happening on the inside, as long as the family looks good. And yeah, so I agree with you. There, there's I, hypocrisy yeah. inherent in that. You're totally right, and I don't think it's it's just because he he cares about the reputation of the Lannisters more than anything. I think it, that's part of his power play, right? Is that the the, the Lannisters are untouchable. Yeah. And he was never really mad at Tyrion for sleeping with Fors. He's just mad at Tyrion's lack caught. of discretion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was him getting caught. Exactly. Yep. He was good at it. He was smart in that way that he understood how he needed to act in public. And, and you know, he was good at strategizing that way. Yeah. But... So if if he's a hypocrite in sleeping with prostitutes, then what else is he a hypocrite in? Mm. Everything you can think of. (laughs) Everything you can think of that would be to his benefit to be a hypocrite about. Mm. Yeah, as long as it it, it doesn't matter to him is his big thing. He's past the point of even caring, I think. And I think it all goes back to, you know, how embarrassed he was by his dad as a kid. 
Maybe, mm. and it might go back to Joanna too. I mean, maybe he wasn't this way uh, before Joanna. I mean, there's record of him being a good ruler and making good decisions and things like that. Well, but, he did the he did the whole wiping out the reins and Castamir and stuff. That yeah, was all done pre Joanna's death. But that's not yeah. hypocritical. That's just ruthless. Oh, it is. Yeah, he was a good ruler after Joanna too. But yeah, you know, Joanna was the one that could soften him up a little bit and stuff. Well, and I, I don't have any evidence that he wasn't a hypocrite before Joanna either. I'm just proposing maybe maybe mm-hmm. that was a character shift for him where he, I don't remember which one of you said it, kind of didn't care anymore about mm-hmm. the hypo- hypocrisy, that mm-hmm. the image is what sure. matters. Okay. Uh, yeah, but sure. who knows? I don't know that that's true. It's mm-hmm. just a yeah. I, it definitely changed him. Yep, I think it definitely yeah. had an effect. And I would argue that the biggest thing that he stands by is the Lannister words. The Lannister always pays their debts. Mm-hmm. He he's probably just had people killed, but as long as nobody finds out about it, then debt paid, no problem. And Brooke, the Lannister words are "Hear me roar." Oh crap! <laughs> You're right. It's okay. Okay, the colloquial Lannister yes. words. Are, <laughs> Lannister always pays his debts. Yes, the which you could oh you could God, argue yeah, that "Hear me roar" is also what he cares about. <laughs> oh, it's so late. It's okay. It is. That's not an excuse. I would have been like this, like fresh <laughs> in the morning. A Lannister always pays his debts. I don't. I don't think it's required that we know all the words of all the houses. I certainly don't know them all. That'd be an interesting test. Please, let's not do it right now. No, that's the Tully not... words. Uh, high, uh, uh, family duty honor. Yeah. <laughs> that's right duty <laughs> wow that's oh, what i want to hear let's bring it down let's bring it way down to that davos fingers level i miss that duty kick we were on back in the early days of davos fingers yeah. how about shay uh, the irony of her loving jewels and stuff she always talked to Tyrion about keeping the jewels and everything that he'd gotten for her and then that's the tool used in her demise yeah the necklace I think that's one of the it's dark but it's it's a beautiful line holy crap it just like floored me reading this line from George where he says he gave cold hands another twist as the warm ones beat away his tears yeah. that's some good writing George R R Martin holy crap yeah that's pretty good he explains so much in that one line about his mental state and everything it's holy crap yeah that's George he might make some of himself one day he should be a writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, goodbye, Shay. Tywin. We we didn't get uh, one thing. I mean, Tyrion's not on his game here. That's clear. But he doesn't even question why Varys is helping him. I don't have anything to say. I guess, but Varys does everything for a reason, and he doesn't put himself at risk without one. Yeah. And Tyrion doesn't even ask. It's like here's the thing, though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, you you kind of went through it in your summary, but you didn't you didn't you didn't uh, hammer it with a, a really hard hammer. No. No. But Varys is encouraging him to go kill Tywin, or at least to go up those up those up the ladder. Don't mm. no no don't go no don't do it don't <laughs> no oh, don't no I'm stop. going I'm going how how high is the ladder. Well, it's only it's only this high, but no, don't do it. Just come my way. Don't don't do it. How do I get there? Well, you turn left, and then it's exactly this many feet. Forty steps. But don't, please don't, please. Oh, 
Please don't. It's a, uh, oh, geez, it's Gene Wilder. Look at that. Gene Wilder passed uh, yesterday, two days ago, in, in Willy Wonka. No, please, stop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's trying, he's lackadaisically trying to keep one of the one of the children from doing this awful thing that's going to get them killed. My television! Hey, get away from that thing! Stop, don't, come back. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's Varys here in this chapter encouraging Tyrion not to go up the ladder. And I don't know that that was his motive, um, but... Originally? Yeah, but, but he's, maybe it became a... Maybe it became a twofer, or maybe it was his original movie. I don't know. Yeah, this might work out well for me. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree. That could definitely happen. Yeah. Um, in regards to why and why Tyrion didn't question and stuff, I think Tyrion's known for as long as he's known Varys that Varys has, you know, intentions that are his own. Uh, but at this he knows, point, he just knows he won't get a good answer. <laughs> yeah, he knows he's not going to figure it out probably. Yeah, but he also knows that he's going to get out of here. And if he can get out of here, you know, get me out of this pickle and I'll figure you out later, dude. But let's just focus on getting me out of King's Landing first. Yeah. Okay, I buy that. I, so I, I went and checked because I, as, as I guess ignorant as I am about a dying body, I didn't know that your bowels can loose in the moment of your death. But apparently you that's didn't a real know thing. that? You didn't know I that? I had no idea. The King of Poop had no idea. Ow. Yeah. yeah, that's a thing. Not yeah. always, but definitely something they leave out of most like TV and film yeah. deaths. Yeah. yeah. You Not will so pee savory. And poop in the spontaneous relaxation of your muscles following death, this article said. It doesn't always happen, but it, it right. can happen and it's spontaneous. Does. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm definitely going to do it. <laughs> I'm hoping I do. But some people fear it. They don't want it so badly. They try to, like, if they know the death's coming, they'll, like, try to go on their own first. Because they I've don't. have got minutes. Uh, better take a dump. Yeah. It's a so thing. Walk me through this. <laughs> they know they're dying. Yeah. <laughs> they know they're dying, and they know it's they know it's coming, and they're like, I I don't I don't want it to be an uncontrolled thing. Even if they're like in the bed, you know, and need uh mm. you know like need a bedpan or whatever, they'll request that. It's like a thing. I swear. I've I, I I've seen this somewhere. Google it. I think it's a. I think right. it's a thing. All right. I've only seen one person to die, and that didn't happen. Me too. But she was on a catheter, so it was my yeah. grandma. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that probably helped, and they probably like, you know, because you know we were all gathered around. We knew what was going to happen. It wasn't pulling the plug necessarily, but she was very much at the end. But uh, it was super dignified and and just beautiful, and it was a it was a good mm-hmm. end. Oh, that's great. Um, and I'm really glad it wasn't literally soiled by a, <laughs> a bowel yeah. explosion. Yeah. Thanks, Grandma. Yeah. That perfectly describes uh, me too with my with my father-in-law when he passed. It was yeah. everyone around very, like you said, dignified and beautiful in its own way. Yeah. Was not spoiled that way either. That's good. But, yeah, good way to go. It's all you can hope for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a word of the day if you want it before we move on. Word of the day! Yeah. Do you Please want it? let it have to do with pooping. It isn't. Uh, <laughs> and it requires a little bit of setup. Uh, Jamie, when he's about to free Tyrion, says, "Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna go. Varys is gonna, you know, uh, you know, uh, get you away. Uh, you know, take you away to another land, and you need to be inconspicuous." And Tyrion jokes about how it would be impossible for him to be inconspicuous 
given his dwarf Nate dwarfish stature and also his uh, scars and everything. And so I bring to you Tyrion Conspicuous. <laughs> Tyrion Conspicuous. The result of trying your hardest to go unnoticed only for factors completely outside of your control making you stick out like a sore thumb. That is very Tyrion Conspicuous of you. <laughs> very yeah. good. It's not poop, but it's very good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I just remembered in that Arya chapter, we we got the best poop description ever. But she's talking about the river. She calls it a wet brown rage. <laughs> <laughs> what? How did you miss that wet yeah. brown rage? I totally didn't miss it. It stuck out oh, like a sore thumb to me. It was very Tyrion conspicuous. Yeah, it was good. very Tyrion conspicuous. Wet brown rage. I'm going to... that. That's going to be the title of the next Davos Fingers album. Wet brown rage? Volume Volume 2, Wet brown rage. Wow. The music of Davos Fingers, Volume 2, Wet brown rage. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <clears throat> All right. Should we move on to Davos After Dark? Oh, I'm excited. All right, yes. guys. Uh, if you don't like spoilers... Jump off now. Uh, we are going to jump into spoilery section. But don't forget to come back to us uh, in three weeks. We'll be covering the last part of A Storm of Swords. Sam 5, John 12, Sansa 7, and the epilogue. That's chapters 78 to 81, according to Wiki of Ice and Fire. And we're going to finish Holy off. crap. The sauce, a, a sauce will be consumed and finished. Um, yep. We like swallow our sauce. The sauce. We like to swallow it, and it will be, it will be completed. Also, as always, uh, if you like what you hear on the musical interludes, uh, go find us on Bandcamp. We are Davos Fingers at Bandcamp.com and check it out. Uh, you can also find that through DavosFingers.com. Uh, now it's time for the Davos After the Dark. Davos After Dark. Dun, 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 dun. So what's the deal with this horn? <laughs> Thanks, Brick. <laughs> Thanks for stealing that. <laughs> Full credit to Brooke for coming up with it, but I felt like I should do it. Uh, you, you definitely needed to. It needed to be done. So I figured we'd just jump right into the horn. So this this horn is a giant, what was it, like eight mm-hmm. feet or something they call I mean, it's huge. Eight feet long. It very much looks like the chalice you should drink of for everlasting life. Or, in yeah, Indiana Jones is that same thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it, lo- um, it looks like the real deal. Is it? You don't think so? Well, Tormund says it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Later. Later on. Um, yeah. They said they just found it in a giant's grave, and it looked good. But he says, we never found the true horn. But how does how does anyone know until you blow it? This doesn't prove it, and, and who knows? I don't know how good Tormund's uh, history is. I imagine <laughs> it's not. Top notch. I imagine sure. he did get Top all A's. Notch. He says it's a thousand years old. Uh, if it was. Are they using radiocarbon dating? Yeah, <laughs> it would have to be uh, around 8,000 years old if we go back to the timeline of, you know, First Men when Jorman was around and stuff. Uh, but again, that's tenuous taking Tormund's word on stuff. I mean, it, it 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 has all the trappings of clearly a fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here's the, like it's very uh, not Tyrion conspicuously left out, um, <laughs> right where right where this uh, right where this discussion is going to take place that Mance himself has requested. Oh, I'll just leave this right here so you know you can see it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, He's like, where's the horn? Where's the horn? Get the horn out. John's yeah. coming. Yeah. yeah. 
More than that, if it was the real horn and they just left it out in Mansa's tent, security isn't like Fort Knox in the Wildling camp, right? And certainly <laughs> there are competitors for for Mansa's leadership, or at least you know people with their own minds. They are they they are known for being independent thinkers. There would have been one or two who would be like, "I'm just going to run in there, grab the horn, blow it, bring this wall down." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I agree with you here, completely. Guys. Like, we're getting picked off, you know, everyone, we've got others coming in and picking off guys in our, you know, the edge of our camp every night. We're not getting through this wall. I just got to end this. And yeah, yeah, like you said, sneak into Mance's thing, grab the horn, blow it. That that for me says it is not the actual horn. But, mm-hmm. but more than that is some other horns that we yes. come across in the series. Mm. Um... Yeah, so um, I would I would peg the broken horn that is found in the cache of dragon glass mm-hmm. as being the, the the most viable option for Horn of Jeremiah, just because I'd agree. It's found with these other weapons against the others. Um, it's already broken, which means you know someone has thought about you know someone better work for this horn. We don't want this horn to do what it's going to do, so I'm going to try to break it, or what it can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe you need some sort of spell to, to, to make it whole, or mm-hmm. there, there's there, you know there's some sort of key to this lock. And then there's a there's another horn. Dragon binder. Dragon binder. Dragon binder. Yeah, which which I think George has been very clear that it is not for walls; it is for dragons, for controlling dragons. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that its its origins of in, in Valeria, the fact that it's like very fire related versus the ice wall, makes it a contender. Mm-hmm. It's a contender. Yeah. It's a contender. It's there. A magical. It's, it's obviously a magical horn burning up this dude's lungs who blew it. Yeah. So <laughs> there's there seems to be a thing with magic horns. I I thought of Lord of the Rings and uh, how they make all these rings and just hand them out to the different races <laughs> yeah. and stuff. This seems <laughs> Maybe totally that was a safe. Thing back then, where they just like made a bunch of horns and giants. You get a horn. You guys get a horn. Yeah. Everyone take a horn. If we need it later on. Whoever, whoever um, they is in this case. Yeah, who knows who they are? It's uh, a weird because, thing. You who, know, the door, who would make the Valyrians didn't even come around till five thousand years ago or so, according to these timelines. Yeah, and the Jorman horn was like eight thousand. And Jor- and I don't, so, I don't even remember the difference. story. Why would you make a horn to bring down the wall? They don't know who made it. Why would anyone make it unless it were the others? And then, in which case, why didn't they fucking blow it as soon as it was made? Well, yeah, one of the theories out there is that it wasn't built to bring down the wall specifically, but it, that it causes earthquakes that, mm. you know, could bring down the wall through the earthquakes. Huh. I found a, a little clue. I don't know if it's a clue. I could just be looking too deep, but I never realized it before until this time, uh, pointing towards the old horn, the, the horn they found in the Fist of the First Men being being the horn, uh, that it's banded with bronze and it always talks about in in the history of ice and or the world of ice and fire and stuff that when the first men came primary source of power was that they had bronze weaponry i don't know if there's a connection there if george made one but it could be a little clue to that and also when um uh john is looking at the the big 8 foot horn he he they they george makes a point of saying 
there were bands around the horn that looked bronze at first, but mm. then on closer inspection, he realized they were more gold. So it, it looked bronze, but was gold, fool's gold, you know, kind of a fake out. And so I wonder if that's a that's a little hint. A hint that draws you to what conclusion? That it was the old horn. The old horn would have been made in the time of the first men. The first men used a lot of bronze. Their weapons were made out of bronze and stuff. So the banding around the horn being bronze could be a clue that it's it. And it origin- originated with Jorman mm-hmm. at the time of the first men. The first horn. Yeah. The one John found in the cache. Yeah, the one he found at the fist. Well, just all this all this emphasis on horns just tells me that it's it's going to show up again, and I'm I'm just interested to see how it shows up again. Yeah. Not necessarily bringing down the wall, but maybe like I don't know, the, two guys fight over it on a precipice, or they've also mentioned well, we know that right it. now it's with Sam. It's one of the mm. final possessions Sam actually yeah, has, right. and he's at the Citadel right now, a place of legend and lore and yeah. stored knowledge and stuff. So. There's also legend of a horn that summons something from the deep, I believe, right? Like a kraken or something. Right. Which, which, you know, you got the fire horn, you got the, I don't know, the ice horn, if you want to call it that, uh, that can control Mm -hmm. the ice wall. And you got the water horn, uh, Mm -hmm. fire, ice, water... All our, our all our air horns to begin with, so that's covered. <laughs> yeah. An air horn and a, like an earth horn? Would that be yeah, one? I don't know. Or based on your argument, maybe the maybe, maybe the wall the horn is the earth horn, not an ice horn, right? Yeah. So you got fire. Earth, yeah, true. Wind, water, heart. <laughs> Captain, Captain Planet. Planet. He's a hero. That poor, that poor, that poor kid with the heart. down to zero. Yeah, what a lame ring. That guy got the fucking shaft with the heart. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Fire ring. Earth ring. Heart. Heart. <clears throat> All right. Uh, uh, should we move on from horn talk? Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for getting horny with us, guys. Yeah, horny enough. I feel like... Uh, we could talk about how the horn got placed there, but I think we've talked about that a lot, right? Mm. The Mammoth horn or John's parts. horn? John's horn. Yeah, I have the a meandering horn. bullshit theory about that, but it's not worth sharing. Ben yeah, Jenner was... cold hands. Those are mine. Do you want to talk about Varys? Sure. What is in it for Varys sneaking Tyrion away? Well, I can think of two things. One is, well, I'll start with maybe the less proven one is that maybe Tyrion's a Targaryen and Varys supporting Targaryens means that he's wanting to really get Tyrion out of there and stick up for him and protect him. Uh, that's that's an option. The other one is just that we know from a Game of Thrones that Varys is just attempting to sow discord um, amongst the ruling class and everything and keep things shaky and rocky until Aegon can come swinging in and, and take things over again and Targaryen rule can be restored. So it could just be that getting Tyrion out there and hating his family will keep that discord kind of going. The king, they'll be mm. focused on hunting Tyrion down. Um, they'll be worried about him coming back and seeking revenge. And it's just another one of those, you know, things to irk the ruling class a little bit. Has there ever been evidence that that Varys want Illyrio to put Tyrion near Aegon to like advise him or at least give yeah, him some counsel be. about Westeros because that backfired. Yeah. <laughs> Did it? 
he gave him some great advice. Yeah. I, don't, I don't actually remember. Again, I, I've, I've admitted on this cast, it's been a while since I read A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons now. We've been doing this cast for two years. I haven't read it during that time. I don't remember him. Does he give shitty advice to Aegon? Not bad advice, but... Um, He's not with so... him for long enough to give him a ton of advice. <clears throat> Counter to no. what? Yeah, Griff- one, Griffin right? and and uh, Illyrio have been sort of like grooming Aegon to... Uh, uh, meet up with Danny and be a consort of sorts to her. Yeah. And and Tyrion is like, dude, your claim is way better. Also, oh, you don't yeah. know that she will necessarily want you. You better prove yourself, and also maybe uh, get in on that claim and go to Westeros now instead of um, of uh, bringing the uh, uh, not Second Sons, the Golden Company to 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 Danny. Mm-hmm. He's sowing a little discord of his own, I see. Yeah, which he admits later on, too, that part of the reason he wants Tyr- or Aegon to go right now is so that uh, Tyrion can get Casterly Rock. Yeah. So, there's some selfishness going. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion goes to some bad places <laughs> from this point indeed. forward in the books. Yeah. Uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think, then? Oh, well, you covered, you covered, pretty, much, you covered pretty much all the ones I thought of. I mean, they're... You kind of covered this one in a roundabout way, just that he's squirreling away, you know, a Lannister heir that he can bring back to the fold in the future should he need him. Uh, kind of like what he did with Gendry, or what he tried to do with Gendry. The Targaryen thing is uh, up there for me. Uh, seems like if the theory of Varys being a Targaryen, and the theory of, <laughs> or or at least Targaryen sympathizer, and Tyrion being a Targaryen are true, then, you know, keep it in the family and help each other out and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you know, maybe he's, maybe that's his motive. Get him with Aegon, like, uh, like Brooke said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His knowledge of dragons and stuff. He's, he's useful. Yeah. And his, his, and his Savi in the political realm of King's Landing would make him a big, valuable ally. Big time. Knowing all the, yeah. the inner workings, mm-hmm. having been a hand, and how many rungs are on the ladder to kill the hand? <laughs> you never know what you need to know. True enough. Uh, okay, we can move on from that one. Let's let's go back to Arya. The ease of killing. Uh, Matt, I think this was yours. Well, oh no, maybe it was Brooks. Brooke and myself, we both brought it up. Uh, so yeah, you attribute her ease of killing to her training at the House of Black and White, but there's more to it than that. I think we covered this a yeah. little bit during the cast, but we can go deeper here. Yeah, because once she gets to the House of Black and White, I mean, they're pretty much just having her kill strangers, right? And she has no problem doing it. She even takes it upon herself to, like, you know, uh, take down that uh, that Black brother, the the one who became a singer. Darian, yeah. yeah. Darian, yeah. Darian. Um, In fact, that's a rule of the of the faceless men, right, is that you can't kill someone you know. Oh, is that, like, an official rule? Yeah. But is that explicitly stated? Uh-huh. It's ex- yeah, later in the books when she's there. Oh, but she doesn't okay. know that dude. Does she, um, know that, does she know that dude? She doesn't know that dude. Mm, I mean, she yeah. gets to know him, but but uh, okay, well that's but that. Like, yeah, that could be like, a very like differently you, interpreted rule. I yeah. mean, yeah, you get to know them as you are preparing to kill them, perhaps. But like, yeah. you can't take a job. Someone comes up to you and says, "I need you to kill this person." If you know that person, you're supposed to. I can't do it. Yeah. That's what I interpreted it as. 
Oh, well, that's that's actually a pretty good rule because that means, like, Jockin can never kill her. Mm. Right? Which good I bet point. he wants to. Yeah. He and, her. and also probably shouldn't have killed the people that Arya asked him to. I don't know. Maybe mm. maybe didn't know those guys very well. I don't know. They were yeah. around. Oh, man. That, now those, I weren't gotta... like, those weren't, like, mm. sanctioned, faceless men killing jobs, though, right? That was kind of a side thing of, you saved my life, so I got to do you some favors. <laughs> no, that's, stuff. That that's true. A, it's that true, wasn't, like, it, contract, faceless men work. It, but it was kind of in the sense of, uh, I owe... We owe the god three deaths, right? So it was yes. still kind of within the. Yeah, I agree with that. The the um, the spirit of it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like five minutes of discussion, we've already totally like yeah. turned this rule on yeah. its head. <laughs> yeah, this is a bullshit rule. We're all we're also not at all talking about what the original topic was, which is how did Arya get to this place? <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> But yeah, but I, I was just, yeah, it's not really like that interesting to talk about. But I did realize in this chapter that her her ease of killing came much much sooner than than you remember than than her advanced stages of her training at the House of Black and White. Right, yeah. very true. It's it's yeah. been a. I mean, you remember how how hard it hits her the first time she does it uh, when she kills That's the stable boy, right? And how big a deal that is. And then she kills the, the guard, right? When she drops the coin that, that uh, yeah. she wants to give him and then stabs him. And um, she, I think she remarks something about how easy it was, how easy it went in. But it's not, you know, nothing nothing detached like she enjoyed it or anything like that. There's even that symbolism of talking about how she went out into the rain and it like washed over her face. Almost symbolic of how it just kind of washed any regret that she would feel away or something. Right, and and that it didn't sit so deeply with her that it could wash away, um, mm-hmm. but you know as she kind of goes more and more and kills more and more people, it's just kind of like I don't know that she's craving it, but she doesn't think it's wrong. <laughs> she's not opposed to mm. doing it, and that's scary, man. She never thinks about that squire again. I don't think. Yeah, not that I remember. She kills in the crossroads. Yeah, the, and the, the, the casual way she stabs him. I mean, it, uh-huh. George, George is so good at this. Just su- the subtext of how he writes things. It was as easy as pulling his dagger, which was sheathed, and sheathing it in his stomach. And, like, like that's all he says. <laughs> it's like a very, you know what I mean? It's just a very nonchalant way of writing that she's killed this guy. And and very methodical. Boy. It's just like Sanders, like, you remember where? Yeah, yeah I do. Okay. Yeah, and then, yeah, Done. the needle thing also, yeah. I was talking about mm-hmm. in the heat of the battle when she stabs him with his own oh, dagger. I see, I'm sorry. But, mm-hmm. but, yeah, but the needle thing, too, it's, it's a similar idea. You know, and then yeah, I think she's talking about it in reference to it's either Gregor or Joffrey, maybe both. But where she thinks she wished she could have been there to see him die, or maybe kill him herself. That's that's that line stuck out to me as worrisome. It was Joffrey, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, and 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 we, it's one we... thing to be okay with killing people, and and it adds on to that to be okay being okay with sitting there and watching someone die who you want dead. You know, it's. That's an extra layer to all of that. Agreed. I uh, wish I could have been there to watch. And the last two, the last two uh, recordings, I think, we talked about the monster Lannister brothers both having the same regret of mm-hmm. wishing they had killed someone. And here's Arya doing mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. <sighs> all right. She let's... exhibiting some sociopathic tendencies here. I mean. 
so uh, just uh, staying on the Arya talk topic for a second. Um, someone bring up the coin. We, we just talked about it very, very briefly in the regular cast. Right. Okay. I thought in the notes someone brought about, up the coin. But hey, weird. Weird that you oh, yeah, okay yeah, yeah. just do that for a coin. Weird. Okay, well I get the I get the association, right? Uh, people from Bravosi would know that the faceless men are not to be trifled with. Someone hands you one of these coins that is, you know, a, a representation of their organization. You better hop to it, give them a give them a private cabin on your boat. Mm-hmm. But what does he do with the coin afterwards? Does he like bring it to the house of black and white and get gold or something? Well, I think he gives it back. It- yeah, I don't think she she actually gives it to him. She just like shows it to him. And... Oh, I thought she gave it to him. Okay, never mind then. I think doesn't she that... use it to get to the house when she gets to the house in black and white to get in? Doesn't she yeah. have to use it? Oh, okay, I forgot I about that part. I don't, well, I don't never know. Mind. I don't remember for sure. No, no problem. Never mind. But it, it does uh, drive home that the whole thing at the end. How when she's getting off the boat, she you know, the, all the men like try to like say like remember me they all introduce themselves to her and like remember my name don't forget my name please they give her little gifts oh, and stuff yeah. remember that that yeah. that points to the whole thing that we just talked about how you can't kill somebody you know that rule you made right? up yeah yeah the rule i made up about yeah uh yeah they know that <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good point that's uh i can't wait to read these books again now yeah 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 <laughs> Damn Exciting. it, I've been dreading it, but I actually do. I really want to. Here we go. Buckle up. we got two whole books left, plus whatever Gurm decides to shit out in the future, and you're regretting it already. <laughs> we got a long time left. We have got a lot of podcasting left to do. That we're not looking forward to that book. <laughs> but we are. Uh, a Feast for Crows is a beautifully written book. It's also cripplingly slow. So it's really I'm looking forward to it, but also, yeah, I'm a little. I, I'm I'm happy we're mixing them together. It'll be good to read in tandem. Yeah, right. Anyway, uh, dance has its slow moments too, though. So it does. Yeah, a lot of Danny. Holy crap! We've got a few more topics here, but uh, I don't know. It's been it's been a night. How do you guys feel about it calling it quits? <laughs> let's call it quits. Okay. I love you, but let's call it quits. <laughs> and I love these books, but let's call it quits. Indeed. All right, uh, let's go with sign-offs then. All right, this is Brooke signing off, saying thanks for joining us tonight. And um, uh, I don't want to steal Matt's uh, description. Dang it. So I will say when I die, I hope that my friends and family have to deal with just a biblical flood. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. You're so nice. And I was going to, I'm, thank you, Brooke. That was very gracious of you for my sign off was going to be in. This is Matt uh, wishing that you all, that all your wet brown rage can vanish with the rains. Just like <laughs> Arya describing Dude. the trident. That's so nice. And my sign off will be uh, something from the Arya chapter uh, when they walk into the inn. It's silent. And that silence tells her something. It says, they know him. The silence told her that. And I uh, thought that was very cool how uh, how silence can speak. And if you want to hear more about silence speaking, pick up The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. That's my last recommendation for the night. <laughs> nice plug, Scad. Good job. You're welcome. Good night, homies. Good night, everybody. Bye, guys.
Holy crap it is. Didn't I just go? I feel like I just went. Uh, uh, you just went right right, right before Brooke did. That's the way this usually works. <laughs> uh, Tyrion. I have this tongue thing. Oh boy, let's hear more about that. Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> How complicated could it be? I don't know, man. It's like canker sores that have been with me for like almost a week, so... I feel like it's complicated. Uh, I'm starting to get like super paranoid about cancer or something. So doc- just... doctor it is. It's like biting all the time. No. Good call. Self diagnosis is not always accurate. Yeah, go... go ahead and get a second opinion on that, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I probably will. <laughs> if you weren't married. Oh, man. You have more rotten jokes coming your way, my friends. Yeah, they went through my mind, too. But I was like, no, <laughs> we can't disrespect Sheltie that way. Uh, I'm not worried about your wife. I... I'm just going to say it. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Maybe you ate some bad pussy. Yeah. Hey, oh, well, there it is. <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible. Here's my here's my word. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I <laughs> shit. <laughs> Last Saturday, I took an edible. <laughs> oh, this is drug Good related. Boy. After smoking, Good after boy. after smoking about three cigarettes that afternoon, which I don't smoke. I, I don't smoke, no, but don't. I don't smoke, but is... but a few times a year, maybe tops. Like I, my my general rule is I smoke in Vegas, and I don't know if you, I think you guys know this. I gave up drinking. I'm 13 weeks sober now, um, and uh, and everybody at this draft thing that I was it was a whole weekend basically of a bunch of my friends getting together and getting shit faced, doing edit like all sorts of stuff while we draft for our fantasy football league, and. I couldn't do any drink. I couldn't do any drinking, and like I'm not. I don't do drugs. Like I don't. I don't smoke pot. We've talked about that before. I don't do any of this stuff. So I'm like, yeah, I'm outside. They're all doing whatever. I'm like, I, I have a couple cigarettes, which you know, my my other rule was I, I do that in Vegas. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's a draft. I'll I'll have a few cigarettes. You know, it gives you a little head buzz when you're not used to doing it or whatever. And I never smoke regularly. It's not it's not an addiction I struggle with. But that night, I was like, fuck it, sure. I'll do that. So I took like a little square of chocolate, had some had some goodies cooked into it, and uh, and I took it, and it was fine. It wasn't like anything stupendous. Ride. But I, I swear to you, my tongue started hurting before I took that. It can't be related, right? Oh boy, I don't know. I would maybe blame the smoking more than yeah. the chocolate. Yeah, I've heard that. Right, that's what I was thinking too. I feel like the edibles, if they were going to hurt you, would be, like, full body. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, thanks, thanks for keeping it non-graphic. I appreciate it. Oh, boy. Damn, you really you really went all out. Yeah, you you let yourself go, buddy. Listen, mm, I'm yeah. a poster child so you're gonna for go letting to the yourself doctor, go. Right? I don't know. You're going to tell him this story? I don't so know. So I was in Vegas. <laughs> 
I don't know. So you know what is that diagnosis is gonna be? Bad I... pussy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, because right now I want you to go to the doctor. Because right now all I'm imagining is uh, that scene on Jurassic Park with the sick triceratops and <laughs> Ellie Sattler's <laughs> examining the triceratops's big purple bloated pustule-filled tongue. Oh yeah, no, That's it's your it's, tongue right now. It's not anywhere and near she that pops bad. One of the things on it. You're just like ah. a good pull, Matt, but it's not <laughs> anywhere, <laughs> it's not any, anywhere near that disgusting. Hey, lords and ladies, some good music on this one, hey? Especially if you're a John Mayer fan. Sorry, not sorry for the inclusions on that one. Uh, the first one was War of My Life from John Mayer's album Battle Studies. Not a, not my favorite John Mayer album, but also not his worst. Like I said, I said it was his worst, and it really isn't. Um, the other John Mayer song that we used is called Try. It's from the album of the same name. That's a live album that's actually under the name The John Mayer Trio. And I aired in the podcast, I said that John was joined by Pino Palladino and Robert Jordan. That's incorrect. I must have had Wheel of Time on my mind. That's Steve Jordan who's playing the drums with him on that. Wonderful, incredible, uh, can't miss album. Of course, we had the return of The Crossroads from Bone Thugs and Harmony's album East 1999 Eternal. Uh, we used that not one, not two, but three times on this episode because why not? And then also we used uh, the refrain or the chorus from The Get Down. So the famous song off that. If you look up the album soundtrack, or the soundtrack to the show, it's called Get Down Brothers vs. The Notorious Three. Um, And that's the track name. But check that out. Wonderful series, wonderful soundtrack, and all that good stuff. So thanks, and join us next time as we wrap up a sauce. See you guys. Good night. (laughs) 